Hey everybody, before we start this episode of the MinMax Show podcast, wanted to jump in and let you know that Another Eden, The Cat Beyond Time and Space is available now on Steam. This is the free JRPG from Masato Kato, the creator of Chrono Trigger. It was a mobile game, now it's available on Steam for free. Microtransactions are not going to be obnoxious and in your face. They want you to know that the game has challenging dungeons and you can explore a huge fantasy world brimming with side quests and it has a gripping main story penned by the legendary writer himself, Masato Kato. So another Eden the Cat Beyond Time and Space is available now on Steam. You can use the link below, bit.ly slash minmax and tell them minmax sent ya. Welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by the one and only Leo Vader. Thank you. Can you see my the VR outline? Oh. It's mostly gone, but I noticed I've still got it. You can still tell. What were you playing? Different realm. Beat Saber. Me and Kyle are still in our high score war, and I had to dethrone him real quick. Well done. Well done. Uh, we have Jeff Marquefava here. Hello. And that's not it. We're also joined by Jason Schreier, the new cohort here at MinMax. Congratulations, Mr. Schreier. Hello. Thank you guys so much. Honor. It is a pleasure to be here, yes. to be joining MinMax. <laughs> not officially, but it's nice to have you here because we're going to be talking about one of your stories well, I'm gonna here. Be, I'm here today. I'm going to be here again next week, so I'm basically joining, right? Yeah, as long as he never leaves this Discord call, I guess we can't get rid of him now that you really put <laughs> right, it that yeah. way. Water's well, right. Hey. Yeah, once but, you, I mean, well, what actually happens is game studios, they don't know this, but once they invite me in once, I never leave. And that's how I find out all their secrets is I just like smart. stay in the walls like a, like an ant. Um, is it um, a lot of, I have an ant infestation in my house. So I'm thinking about ants recently. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I do. I would just crawl around in the walls of game studios. That sounds really cool, man. Well, that's what we're here to talk about. So that's about. what I'm going to do to MinMax. Sorry, guys. But, uh, <laughs> you're stuck with me. That's understandable. So uh, last Friday, you published a story that was the talk of the town. And so we were planning on talking about it on the podcast. And then we realized, why do all this secondhand regurgitation? Let's just go straight to the source, kind of, sort of, yourself, the reporters. So we'll be talking about Sony News. Uh, biggest headline would be Last of Us Remake and Development. We'll get to all that for sure. Um, but I think the story is a lot deeper than that. Uh, then we're going to swap you out of here and then get more people in to talk about some announcements from the Nintendo Indie World Showcase that happened. Uh, Pac-Man 99 we'll talk about. And then back half of the show, as always, we'll have some great community emails that people uh, or questions that people submitted over on Patreon. Um, Jason Schreier, welcome, sir. Uh, people might know you Hello. from Triple Click Podcast, Many Years of Kotaku. Yeah. Now you're a hot Bloomberg man, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for shouting out Triple Click. We're almost a year old, which is very exciting. Uh, where we celebrate one year next week, which is really cool. Actually, I think the Saturday or Sunday is the official one year anniversary of Triple Click. So, oh, that's amazing. Uh, what uh, what has surprised yeah, you super, along the super way? Happy about that. What's been the biggest surprise with Triple Click Podcast? Uh, I guess I was surprised at how quickly we like hit our Kotaku split screen size because we were um, Kirk Hamilton, Maddie Myers and I, we did a podcast at Kotaku called Kotaku split screen and we had a pretty decent sized audience. And um, I didn't know like how much of that would carry over because I'd never done the whole like transition from a big corporation world to um, going independent. And we didn't get to keep any of our subscribers like on Apple Podcasts or anything like that. We just had to say like, 
hey, come aboard. We're starting this new thing. Yeah. And it actually happened really quickly that we, like, we started hitting our split screen numbers, which was awesome. Um, and getting a lot of listener support. I know you guys are also listener supported. It feels really good to just be super independent and like being able to create the show you want without and own it without any like any worries at all. Um, and yeah, that's been it's been super cool. Um, very very happy about that. Although I did get a funny message this week, um, just yesterday or two days ago, someone messaged me and was like, "Hey, I miss you, Kirk and Maddie." And I was like, "What do you mean?" And he was like, I loved Split Screen. It was my favorite podcast. And I was like, you know, like, <laughs> I have good news for you, man. <laughs> you have a year's <laughs> worth of new podcasts to catch up on. He goes, get the f*** out. <laughs> so there are still a few stragglers who had no idea we switched over. But um, but I'm happy that most most people seem to have come aboard. Oh, that's great. Uh, and then you also have the big second book coming out, Press Reset, which is coming out soon, right? Yeah, May 11th it comes out. If you pre-order um, it, you can read the first chapter next week. So April 20th, you can start reading the first chapter if you pre-order it. A um, little bit of early access there for you, no. except no bugs or glitches. Um, so it's really it's really more just like getting your appetizer before the main course than it is like early access. Um, but yeah, we'll talk more about that soon, right, Ben? That's true, yeah. Uh, I'm going to be officially interviewing you uh, on Monday, so look for Love an interview it. about the book and about your career. It's going to be coming up next week. But uh, I finished the book a while ago, flew through it in, I think, two sittings. Uh, it is a hell of a read. It, it's a great time. It's just, I can go for one of them every Thank year. You. I don't know if you're capable of producing one every year, but I would happily <laughs> take one. I Yeah, I'm, I'm already thinking about my next one, but it definitely won't be out next year. Sorry to say. Okay. Um, okay, <laughs> so this is a fascinating story for 3,000 reasons, I believe. Uh, your story last week um, about, oh boy, a lot of different things. But again, a lot of people ran with the headline of Last of Us remakes in development. Do we really need a Last of Us remake? Bah, bah, bah. We'll get to all those beats for sure. But that was interesting. You had a tweet where you're like, Hey, I know that's kind of the takeaway headline, but like really the story is so much deeper than that. In your own words, Mr. Schreier, what would you say your story at Bloomberg is about? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm surprised that it got I was a little surprised at how much attention it got. Like every all the terms involved were trending on Twitter for a while afterwards. And it it sort of blew up on the Internet more than I expected um, because I didn't really see this as a particularly controversial or scandalous story. I saw it as like, here's a little bit of insight into Sony's recent business decisions and the things they've been doing. But like if you read the story and you see what they did with um, VASG, which is their support studio. I mean, all right, let me let me zoom out for a second Please. and actually sum sum up the story. So the story is it's about Sony um, showing as Sony is on top with the PS4 and now the PS5. Sony has shown risk aversion that I don't think they had as much of in the past. Um, PlayStation has become a larger and larger part of their business. They've decided, hey, we're going to go all in on the stuff that works, the big blockbusters, the Naughty Dogs and Gorilla Games of the world. And as a result of that, some parts of the organization have been feeling kind of left behind. Um, Japan Studio, it was in the news, it basically shut down. I think they call it a reorganization, but like it's essentially a, they forced a bunch of people out um, who had worked on a lot of like games that aren't big global hits the way yeah. The Last of Us and are. Um, and then some of the stuff that I was newly reporting was about Sony Bend, which is the studio that made Days Gone, and how they were not able to get a, a sequel off the ground. And for a while, they feared becoming a Naughty Dog support studio because they were only working on projects for Naughty Dog, essentially. Um, and then I wrote a story. And then the other part of the story is 
VASG, which is this little known service group that is actually a couple hundred people. Nobody's ever heard of it. They yeah. work on pretty much every Sony game and a lot of non-Sony games too, um, doing art and animation. They're essentially like an outsourcing group. And so what they wanted to do in 2018 was start their own studio. And it actually made some headlines as a rumor because I think there were some like tweets about it or something. Somehow word got out um, and everybody thought, oh, my God, Sony's starting the secret studio. They're making a new Uncharted game. Um, turns out the studio was not ever making a new Uncharted game. It was always very small scale, never really could get off the ground, pitched a Last of Us 1 remake. Um, because they saw remakes as a way to get approval from from Risk of Earth Sony. Um, tried to make that happen, put together a vertical slice over the next year or so. Um, it seemed to be going well. By all accounts, the vertical slice was pretty cool. Um, but then they still found that they couldn't get budget. There was a big management shakeup at Sony. Right. Herman Hulse came in. He thought it was too expensive. Things kind of slowed down. Then The Last of Us 2 was delayed from 2019 to 2020. This is also internally. No, I don't think it was public at all that the game was originally, The Last of Us 2 was originally planned for 2019. Um, and so that led to all of those people, or most of that team, the BASG team, getting pulled on to help out with Last of Us 2. Then when it was all over, it was kind of like, okay, now we have all these people at Naughty Dog and hey, they made the original Last of Us. So let's have them all work on The Last of Us 1. And it should be noted that there were always some people from Naughty Dog working on The Last of Us 1 remake. This was not like an unsanctioned project. This was always a proof. Okay. Like Naughty Dog was fine with it. There were programmers at Naughty Dog working because there's some, some things, because I'm writing for a Bloomberg audience, there's some things that I can't get into the nitty gritty granular stuff on since we're trying to target a mainstream audience. And, and yeah, we, it, the, my platform has a limitations but like yes from the get-go there were always naughty dog programmers like helping them out with the engine because it's this it's the last of us 2 engine that they were working on which is the technology um as opposed to the last of us one engine which is also one of the reasons that it was going to be an expensive project is because they were working on this brand new engine um and so they had naughty dog programmers like working with them teaching them how to do stuff etc etc can i pause so, you for a second can i pause you for a second do you know um were they intending on keeping the original um, like performances and just updating all the tech around that, or is this going to be re-recording? And no, no, no. I think it was. I think it, I don't think they were planning on redoing performances. Okay. The idea was Last of Us Two has all these advancements in graphical technology and in gameplay. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff you can do in Last of Us Two, like breaking windows um, or like different cover systems. Um, and the idea was, here, we released Last of Us Part 2. Why don't we re-release Last of Us, maybe call it Part 1 or whatever, and like do a whole package of the two games so it's like the one complete story. You can buy right. that on your PS5, and it'll all feel seamless and like straightforward. I don't know if they're planning on adding like new story stuff. I'm sure there's still decisions being made because it's still in development at Naughty Dog now. Um, but to, to conclude that kind of the story, essentially Naughty Dog had a bunch of people who had no work to do after Last of Us 2 was completed, um, and so the thought was, okay, let's move them all over to work on the remake. But here's where you get into like kind of messiness and the messiness of human nature, which is that um, even though VASG's team is ostensibly in charge, you have a bunch of people from Naughty Dog coming on. They worked in the original game. They're going to have a lot more clout. They have a lot more people now. They're totally outnumbering the smaller VASG group. The VASG group is used to being support for other teams. So like how much say do they really have in meetings? And then you get into the situation where essentially like the game has moved into Naughty Dog's budget and it has essentially become a Naughty Dog game. Um, I don't know how they'll announce it. Like if they'll say this is co-led with these two teams or if they'll right. just say it's a Naughty Dog game. But it is essentially like 
a game that is that a lot of strong-minded directorial people at Naughty Dog are working on. Um, and that led to a lot of people at the VASG team leaving the company and just saying, you know what, we tried to do this thing. We tried to get a new studio off the ground. Didn't happen. We're out. Um, and so, yeah. So that's the the big picture of the story. <laughs> big picture. There's so many things to dive into here. So uh, my gut reaction is, you know, it's like, do we really need the Last of Us remake? Which I think a lot of people are asking. But I mean, by the time it comes out, it'll be 10 years plus or so since the Last of Us came out. It's not unrealistic, but it's just such a bummer to think of Naughty Dog talent being used to remake The Last of Us. Like if it's that other Yeah, but what studio- else are they going to do right now? Like they have their, so that's yeah. the thing. Okay. I, I also wasn't, I wish I had included this in the story. Again, my limit, I'm limited in what I can, the details I can actually include sure. these days. Um, maybe I should say this on Twitter or something, but like, if you're a bunch of people at Naughty Dog, you finish Last of Us 2, um, Neil Druckmann and some other writers or creative people go off in a room somewhere and they say, what do we want to make next? Let's figure it out. So you have hundreds of people at the studio who don't have a lot to work on. There's this multiplayer thing that they're doing. Maybe that, I don't know like what stage that is in, but I doubt it needs everybody. But hang on, um, just to stop you real quick, I'll let you continue your thought. But with that multiplayer thing, I mean, that's just the Last of Us multiplayer chunk. It's going to be standalone, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't know if it's like become something else or something more elaborate, but yes, it's a standalone multiplayer thing. Um, I believe they, at one point they were thinking about DLC, but I don't think that happened. I don't know. I don't hold me to that. They might still do something. I don't know. But they have a bunch of people who needed work. And so it was like an elegant solution to be like, okay, let's put them on Last of Us Remake, get them used to working with the PS5, which they hadn't done before. Um, and yeah, let's, let's make this happen. Makes sense. Um, and so, so like it, it's, it's something for people to do for the next year or so while the other things are in pre-production and whatever, like their creative leads, whatever Neil Druckmann wants to do next, then they can bring more people on. Um, because one of the issues, and I wrote about this in my first book, Blood, Sweat and Pixels, one of the issues that Naughty Dog has run into in the past when trying to do this whole multi-project team thing, multi-team um, d- production thing, is that like they'll wind up with a bunch of people who just need stuff to do. They call it feeding the beast, um, which is a common a common tech term um, where you have all these people and you just need to make like quick, quick, quick decisions to try to get them things to do. And it can lead to... Um, really bad practices because you might be making the wrong decisions and have to redo them later. You might be making decisions that like you're stuck with then and you regret after you've seen more coherent things. So it's a good solution to have everybody like go on to this thing that is more obvious or more, more straightforward, the last of us remake and you can give everybody work to do while you're waiting for the next big thing. Just like, yeah, I mean the porting the original version of the last of us to the ps4 version i'm sure that got him up to speed on the ps4 in such a huge way that it ultimately was beneficial but uh jeff what's your gut reaction to this chunk so far here uh yeah i i mean i kind of i read the article and i think it does a good job of i came out of it kind of seeing both sides like as, as a fan of sony i too want you know like don't like how they've kind of homogenized around just these big licenses and kind of given so much of their power and budget to a few small groups. But at the same time, like that, that is the perfect explanation of like, yes, we have this entire studio sitting, twiddling their thumbs. Like it makes perfect sense for to put them on this project that we were already funding. And I can, I can see it from the other side of the smaller studio though, that wanted to kind of make a name for themselves and how they, you know, like, Without intending to, they just kind of got pushed aside based on, you know, the politics of 
studios and and you know the experience that they were coming in with it i'm sure i'm sure when they got to that end point even if even if you know the directors from that smaller studio stuck around i can totally see sony looking at it and saying yeah good job naughty dog like you guys made it you you did it again yeah and and them losing that so i i certainly wouldn't blame them you know abandoning that studio either and and going independent as well but yeah, it's tough. It's a tough one. Yeah, it's kind of like just the larger story of shifting leadership at Sony as well. And it is that weird idea of like, okay, they're doing ultimately, yeah, the smart play of doubling down on their big franchises. I mean, you look at every mega media corporation now, the Disney's, the Warner Brothers. I mean, everybody's just going all in on the sure bets that it's like, yeah, I mean, we feels like we just played Last of Us, but it certainly makes sense. But Leah, would you play Last of Us remake like day it came out? No. Yeah. I it's I don't want to assume how anybody feels as a, a developer what they want to be doing, but I know that I, as someone who loved the first Last of Us, if I was working at a game studio and suddenly my job for the next two years, super optimistically, two years was going to be remaking a game that was already made in a very modern way. Like you can play it on PS five. It just doesn't look like the sequel because of course it doesn't. Right. I I would be bummed out by that. I don't think I would commit to years of that. Well, so the flip side of that is that if you're at Naughty Dog and you just spent the past four years working on Last of Us 2, a game that was brutal to develop and involved quite a lot of overtime in large part because things were constantly changing and direction from above was was like moving in all sorts of ways for all sorts of reasons. Um, the thought of working on something that is already like already exists and has a lot of those decisions made and can maybe be done without having to sacrifice your personal life and, and come in on nights and weekends, that might actually be kind of refreshing. It might be like a little two year break before you enter the crunch hell of whatever the next big thing is. Um, I'm sure there sure. will be crunch on this thing, but I doubt it will be as bad as their kind of original games are. Yeah, you had an interesting line in that article, Jason, where you were talking about, uh, you know, shifting leadership at Sony, what it could mean for the future, doubling down on successes. And then you mentioned like, eh, maybe they missed the opportunity to make dreams the next Roblox. Maybe that's mm-hmm. ultimately what the future looks like. And I think there is kind of this larger discussion popping up from the article about Sony focusing on its major franchises to the neglect of other things. But at the same time, I mean, they're still funding some weird projects. I mean, you got to look at stuff like Returnal, even like Destruction All-Stars. Like there's still some of those weird oddball Sony releases. And, you know, it's, I think, a recurring thing then of just saying, oh, Sony's playing it safe, playing it safe. But you got to remember, I mean, last year, Last of Us Part Two, that game was the definition of not playing it safe in so many ways. And so it's, I think it's a stretch to say, oh, you know, Sony's just becoming Disney at this point and just eh, making a bunch of easy Marvel shows. End of story. Yeah, I think that was one interpretation of my article that yeah. the article did not establish at For all. Sure. And I, I don't think I ever said playing it safe or avoiding risks. Well, no, I did say risk aversion. I didn't say avoiding smaller stuff because yeah. you look at Sony's portfolio. They have Mini Molecule. They have Pixelopolis. Pixelopolis. Um, they have like, and they're funding indie stuff. Um, they're doing all sorts of 
new stuff. The thing is, as a company, they are prioritizing and putting the bulk of their resources and the bulk of their budgets and and the bulk of their attention on the naughty dogs of the world. And I think yeah. that is the story here. And even if you're a Sony bend and you're kind of seen as this rising star, and I think that um, something we've seen is that even though Days Gone got pretty mediocre reception, I think a lot of people were thinking, or saw that, saw that it was profitable which it was i can confirm i confirm with my own sources that it was um they can they look at that game and they say okay well the first uncharted was kind of mediocre too the first assassin's creed was kind of mediocre too you always see that big leap with the second game and so i think a lot of people were optimistic that a day is gone too could really like like raise that bar and to see sony not be willing to take that chance i think that is kind of like one example of what i'm talking about where it's not that sony isn't saying yeah we're gonna fund some tiny some creative indie-ish game from our uh from the studio that made um Concrete, Concrete Genie is that yep. what that game was called, and, and like that's Pixelopolis, or, or like we're not going to keep funding Dreams and bring Dreams to PC. Like that is still Sony. Sony is still doing mm-hmm. that. They're still having an indie showcase. They still are supporting some indies. It's just that like it's a less attention and less budget to that than they did in the past. And I think in the past they were that was a higher priority. When I think Shuei Yoshida specifically had a lot of that stuff more prioritized. And B, it's just that like. The the naughty dog is the big planet that is sucking up a lot of the the satellites into its orbit, and Ben is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Sony Japan is another example of like like some of these studios aren't going to survive, and we're we're ultimately looking at a company that is is prioritizing the bigger stuff, and that's it. Like so to look at this and be like, no, well Sony is releasing all this small stuff too, is kind of missing the point of the article, which is a little more subtle than that. These things are never like black and white straightforward there's always corporate politics and a lot of nuance involved with any of these stories but yeah that's what i was saying before about how i'm surprised that like a lot of the takeaways from this article and i think a lot of people either just read the headline or just read just watched youtube videos like going crazy about it because the article does not say that sony is not doing ips or new stuff anymore it's very much not what the article is 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 posturing. Yeah. So the days gone to Sony Bend aspect of this is, is also fascinating. So the idea is Sony Bend pitched a days gone to, uh, we later learned from, um, of all sources, a stream with David Jaffe where, uh, Jeff Ross, the director of days gone was on there and he shed a little bit more light, um, saying that the idea was it would have a co-op side mode for a days gone sequel. Um, and yeah, that, that Jaffe stream was unfortunate, as most things involving David Jaffe these days are. Uh, chat was uh, ready to roast you uh, the entire time in that stream. I don't know how much of that you watched, Jason, but then I thought it was very sweet and, and classy yeah, for Jeff Ross at the end to really double down and, and back up your reporting. Yeah, well, I think David Jaffe made it seem like he, Jeff Ross was saying things that he didn't actually see him. And I saw some takeaways that turned out later to not be true, like that he was saying. Apparently, a bunch of people came out of this thinking that he said that Days Gone 2 was it still in development when he left, which was a few months ago, um, which would obviously contradict what I said and yeah. is very much not true. Days Gone 2 was not in development when he left. Um, so, yeah, I think... Uh, uh, I haven't, I still haven't watched it, but I, I think it's, that whole situation is very unfortunate. Yeah. Cause I think Jeff was just trying to dodge around. He didn't want to confirm the days gone mm-hmm. to was canceled. So I think some of those details were kind of lost in him trying to mm-hmm. be like, I'm not an official source here. I'm just saying this is what we wanted to do with days gone to and never say yeah. never that type of thing. But he, he says in that stream that he ended up leaving Sony Ben ultimately because 
development on the sequel uh, and just new projects at Sony Band. He said, like, ah, I kind of got messy and convoluted. They brought in some people. Um, there were some conflicts in the studio, naturally. Um, and the interesting thing is in that discussion, he talked a lot about how there are a lot of conflicts in the studio between different generations. And I think mm. that that is the most fascinating thing is, you know, Jeff and I, we visited uh, Sony Bend for the Days Gone cover story at Game Informer and spent two days there. And they were fascinating studio for a thousand different reasons. But his conclusion was, or one of them, was that there are these different generations within Sony Bend and how the younger staff would have a lot of complaints about the way older staff was still managing things. People were pointing fingers saying this is John Garvin, the writer's fault versus this is Jeff Ross's fault. And he just seemed like, eh, I'm kind of done. I want to get mm. out of this situation. Um, and I think it's interesting that we're at a point in the game development world where there are these intergenerational conflicts within studios. And I think Sony Bend is such a fascinating microcosm of that. Like, Jeff, what do you remember about just the vibe of sony bend and how it stood out compared to other sony studios maybe uh yeah i mean i i guess we could see that i remember john garving putting a lot of of stock into like he wrote every every word that was in days gone and yeah and that just that standing out of like <laughs> wow i can't i can't believe that 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 exists and and clearly that that is probably one of the problems um with the management in in that studio at this point of of like of approaching it from an old way where where that could yes. actually happen it feels um, yes it's it's like a couple of old school developers well a handful of old school developers you know at the top of sony bend i mean a bunch of old siphon filter talent um that have just been around for so long and have worked their way up the chain and they're really now reaching the limit of like this new groundswell of just raw talent you need in order to pull off a huge world like days gone. And that naturally creates this weird friction of like, well, he's a creative director. So he wants to write a lot of these things and he says he's good at it. So he wants to stick with it. And he's been around for so long. Who's going to tell him no. And not that it's, you know, an abomination that he did that, but it's just so unique and strange to have somebody so hands-on in a big way for a huge game like that. Yeah. And, well, it's, and it's the, the auteur, auteur approach. I guess so. Does it and, uh, uh, uh Kojima does it. Yeah, it's 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 a whole. I mean, even thing. Neil um, Druckmann, who's you know VP of Naughty Dog now, and he's still writing a, a huge part of at least Last of Us Part Two. Yeah, I I think um, some added context here. I don't think people know this, but so John Garvin actually left in 2019, right after Days Gone came out. I don't think this is public because I think he announced it like a year later. Right. So what happened was the studio was actually I didn't really get into this for reasons that I'll explain in a second. But um, so what happened was the studio. Did didn't have a creative director for a long time and it had kind of a vacuum at that position and they were looking for a creative director they brought in some other writers who helped out with like the Days Gone 2 pitch and then the Uncharted pitch once they started working on that um, and there was some drama there I don't think the writers are there anymore and then there were some other departures and it was it was all very messy and I don't I haven't heard the thing about the millennial like generational divider or anything like that but it doesn't shock me um, but yeah, uh, uh, John Garvin was certainly a force of that studio, and I think there was a vacuum there when he left. So my story didn't. My story when I originally started reporting on this, it was a very different story because Sony Bend was a lot more concerned about being absorbed into Naughty Dog. Right. So last year, so after Days Gone Two got canceled, there was a lot of or not canceled, no, rejected in the first place. There was a lot of like conversations about okay, what is the studio going to do next? Um, they started helping out Naughty Dog with a multiplayer project. Then they started getting. Uh, helping working on this Uncharted game that there was supposed to be their next big thing. 
um, with supervision from Naughty Dog. And like they had to come to come up with with pitches and such, send them over to Naughty Dog. And then uh, what happened was Naughty Dog, my understanding is that Naughty Dog just um, uh, took more and more of a creative overseeing role, which is understandable because Uncharted is their baby. Yeah. And even though Ben has made an Uncharted game in the past with Golden Abyss, things have changed a lot. That was back in the Amy Henning days. So things have changed a lot since then. Um, and it got to the point where Ben people were looking around and saying, hey, we're just supporting two Naughty Dog games essentially now. Are we going to turn into Naughty Dog North? Meanwhile, people at Naughty Dog, at least one person I talked to, actually more than one person I talked to, had been like jokingly saying, like, we got Naughty Dog North, we got Naughty Dog South in San Diego. Which is totally um, a fair fear. I mean, that's that right. totally could happen in the blink of an eye. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about like the gravitational pull of Naughty Dog yeah. and how Sony sees Naughty Dog as it's like superstar, it's crown jewel of its organization. And that's that's like the internal politics there. Um, and then my that's what my story was originally about with regard to Bend. But then in March, like very recently, Bend finally got off the Uncharted project and got greenlit to do their own thing. Now, we'll see how long that lasts. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Because that's like like started a few weeks ago that they were given this this green light to do their own thing um but that kind of reduced the role of bend in my article because suddenly they had a lot less to fear if they're if they now have the autonomy to do their own thing granted some of them are still helping out naughty dog with a multiplayer thing but like if they still have the autonomy to do their own thing then maybe they don't have as much to fear when it comes to becoming naughty dog north but we'll see um we will see yeah so okay the um I'm trying to figure out this timeline for Sony Bend where uh, on LinkedIn, you can see that they brought in uh, some Hollywood uh, screenwriting talent, Tom Dribble and Laurel Williams, um, who were working at, at Sony Bend for a while there. Um, they, at least Tom left in December, 2020. I assume that Laurel left as well. And the way they describe it is they're working on a new open world IP for Sony Bend. And so I'm trying to figure out exactly how that I works. wouldn't put any stock into LinkedIn just, dis- <laughs> descriptions okay. is is what i would say um i think that uh uh yeah i mean there were a lot of different writers who came in over the course of last year um there was a writing team that got kind of pushed out there's a lot of drama there that i don't really want to get into because i sure. haven't like gotten it would be irresponsible for me to get too in depth on that without getting comment from those people and blah 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 going through the standard journalistic practice um but in general, for this and for everything else, I wouldn't put much stock into what you read on LinkedIn. People tend to exaggerate or say things that happened at certain points in time as if they happened over the course of their whole time there. And Yeah, but, um, but the, the vacuum of John Garvin leaving as the main creative force at Sony Ben has kind of created a whirlwind for a while that now seems to be settled down. So the Uncharted... Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't say that was the only factor, but definitely sure. one factor. Okay. Um, so the Uncharted game that Sony Ben started up um, I assume that it would be open world based on their pedigree. Like, is it an open world unreal take on Uncharted? Do you know anything about what they were going for? Um, I don't know. I mean, okay. I've heard like a couple of bits and pieces, but, but it was all so early that it's like, it didn't really mean anything with, with games. It's always like what you hear. This was like a game that was like four or five years away at that point. So yeah. what you hear at the beginning is never going to be <laughs> what actually comes to fruition. Right. And so do you know where that project is now? 
I don't know if it exists. I mean, it was a Ben project. It was just like kind of supervised by Naughty Dog. I assume it's just going to disappear. It was supposed to be an Uncharted spinoff. It wasn't like Uncharted 5 or something like that. Okay. Um, for sure, there will be new Uncharted games in the future. It's just uh, uh, who knows if that particular one will continue. But like that doesn't even mean anything because that particular one wasn't anything. It was just like paper design and, and writing and so, like scripts and, and ideas and stuff. It wasn't maybe a prototype or two, but like it wasn't a game. Um, so it doesn't really mean anything for it to exist or not exist because when we do actually see an Uncharted like playable or a trailer or whatever form it takes, it will be very different no matter what from that. So it's yeah. just kind of like... Who knows? Who knows what the future of Uncharted looks like? But that I wouldn't I, like. I wouldn't read too much into whether that version will be taken on and move forward somewhere else because it's all just on paper. It's all in theory. Yeah, yeah. I, I like what you're talking about with just the gravitational pull of Naughty Dog because you can definitely feel it visiting these studios. I mean, even for Days Gone coverage, it's very much like Sony on tiptoes about like don't compare this to The Last of Us Part Two, please. For the love mm-hmm, of God, this mm-hmm, is distinct. Mm-hmm. Please don't mention Naughty Dog around them. It definitely feels like. Naughty Dog, I mean, they're the golden goose, naturally. And Sony Bend always felt like, you know, the kid's not quite sitting at the cool table yet for Sony, even though they've been around for so long. It just felt like this kind of remote colony that it built up its own culture. And it's kind of a culture shock when you walk in expecting kind of the vibe of another Sony Santa Monica or a Naughty Dog. Yeah, and I, I think that's where some of the frustration from readers and people reading into the article, you know, their fears kind of getting away from them, where, yeah, Sony certainly is you know, funding different IPs and stuff. But when you, if you look at a situation, you know, like days gone where yes, it, it came out, it was profitable. Like I'm sure I would feel differently if I was a Sony accountant, but just as a fan, if, if a company comes, you know, makes a profitable game, I want them to get more autonomy and be able to, you know, get their next project that they're passionate about greenlit. And it it feels like such a low bar to say, Hey, we're going to make a days gone too. Like that's already, that's already just another sequel. You'd think that that would, that would pass that bar. And it, it reminds me of reporting that we've heard out of, you know, like, uh, uh square with with like the tomb raiders where it's like it's the most profitable tomb raider ever but it it didn't meet our expectations for how much you know it has to make yeah for us to want to continue these kind of projects and so that's that's where i start to worry i guess as a as a fan you know like certainly they're they're doing stuff but like destruction all stars isn't isn't floating my boat in terms of what i want to see you know from other other non-Naughty Dog games from Sony. Yeah, and also just kind of like resetting them in a way to creating a new, I'd imagine, open-world IP, because Sony, certainly Sony could use some open-world open talent world zombie here. game. <laughs> I mean, like, whatever they're making, it's like, you would think that you just would want them to stay with as much momentum as possible from Days Gone 1, just to build up that skill set to become a premier open-world developer within Sony's stables. Yeah, I think that with Days Gone 2, it wasn't as much um, Days Gone 1 and what it sold. It was more what they predicted and projected that Days Gone 2 would sell. And like it wasn't viable enough from those projections. Um, also, a large part of it was that Days Gone 1 took like seven years to make. It was, an, it was a really tortured um, game development cycle for um, 
I'm sure lots of reasons I haven't heard too much about what happened there, but yeah, I it was called that, like, like, it was called dead. Don't ride for a long time or whatever. I think that was, yeah, I think, uh, I think that was the name. I think it was, there were factions within Sony and there's some like interesting executive politics where like, I think there was one person in Sony who was like really, really fighting hard for them and protecting them from cancellation over the course of that long, long project. Um, but um, I think it's kind of like the classic EA problem uh, Problem that I talk about a little bit in my new book, Press Your Set. And Ben, you you will think this sounds familiar because like they look at Dead Space 1 and it's profitable and then Dead yep. Space 2 and it's profitable and Dead Space 3 and it's profitable. But none of them are growing enough. And there's this expectation thanks to the, the benevolent forces of capitalism. Uh, thank you. Thank you, investors. Um, there's this expectation of constant growth. It's not good enough that like you're making money and you're profitable. It has to be exponentially growing every single year. Um, and like, I'm sure they looked at Days Gone 2 and said, okay, if we make this, maybe it'll make a profit. Maybe it'll be 10 times more expensive than Days Gone. So maybe it'll be too risky and maybe it won't make a profit. But our projections show, show that like the profit margins are too slim for this to be worth it. And I'm sure there's all sorts of like crazy calculus going on there. And then the other big part of it is like, I don't know, this is all speculation, but I have to wonder how much, uh, how much kind of, not animosity, but how much tension is there between Naughty Dog and Ben as a result of Ben making a zombie game and Naughty Dog being like, hey, we're the people at Sony who make the big zombie game and um, no, they're we take like it through guys that's a different thing they wouldn't that's be. true they're not zombies they say don't call it a zombie game no but like i think that they they take their zombie game very seriously and yeah. maybe they look over but again this is that is that is speculation so do not take that reddit do not run away with that one um but yeah but i think there's always like a lot of different calculations with all these there's politics there's economics For there's sure. like all sorts of things um, that go into play into these situations. And I'm sure there's, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, I'm sure they're slightly annoyed at times at Naughty Dog. I'm sure it's not like, oh, Sony Bend. But I remember when they had that surprise trailer, I think the second trailer for Last of Us Part Two, and um, it was a scene in the forest at night and there's no setup of what it was. And I remember watching the chat live and so many people were like, Days Gone? Days Gone? And I'm sure Sony was just like, what? You think this is Days Gone? Level cinematics? How dare you, everybody? <laughs> yep. So I'm sure it's just small things like that that build up over time. Um, mm. It's a wild ride. Uh, hell of an article. Jason, congratulations on uh, making a splash there. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, <laughs> I wish that it hadn't made a splash in certain ways, but I do hope that people uh, 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 go and read the article instead of just reading the headline or instead of just reading... Uh, watching the David Jaffe try to try to sum it up. Yeah. And there were, there are a bunch of interesting tidbits in that, in that Jaffe stream for sure. I mean, on the Naughty Dog, Sony Ben point, uh, Jeff Ross does say like, yeah, they had a good relationship with Naughty Dog, but there are some quote unquote pain points every once in a while is how we put it. And I'm sure that goes back to even Golden Abyss development. I mean, that has to be tough with your, if you're Naughty Dog to watch another studio make a new entry in your beloved franchise. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of emotions going around, I'm sure. Um, yep, yep, yep. So you can read the article. Check out that Jaffe stream uh, if you'd like. Uh, beware of the chat, everybody. Um, hey, before we let you go, Jason Trier, um, Saga Frontier Remastered. <laughs> I'm so curious mm -hmm. about this thing. Uh, should yeah. we be excited for this thing coming back? Um, it depends. If you're like into Saga games, then yeah, it's great. So as a remaster of a PS1 game, it's really good. It does everything right. It looks great. Sounds great. Has um, fast forward, lets you skip random battles, which is awesome. You can just press that L button on the switch to flee. Um, 
it's everything it's everything i would want in a remaster of this game but like the game itself is so <laughs> broken and disjointed and janky and messy that like if you're just a jrpg fan and you're you've never played a saga game and you're just like what's the fuss all about this is not the game for you unless you're willing to like really meet it its own terms um read a walkthrough like really dive in then okay maybe you'll enjoy yourself but if if you're just like if you play Bravely Default and Octopath Traveler and you're like, I need another cool JRPG, this is not the game for you. Go stick to Final <laughs> Fantasy. This is a very different kind of JRPG. It's much more challenging. It's much more willing to just like flip you off and say, hey, man, uh, you're stuck now. You can never beat this game. It's a very much a game. It's a game with a quick save option. All you have to do is press two buttons to quick save because it's a game where you need to be saving constantly. Yeah. Um, and like the problem with it, I don't know. I think a lot of people are into saga games. Maybe not a lot of people, but like some people are into saga games um, for what they are. For me, the problem has always been that it's like there's no satisfaction to like mastering the game the way that there is with like a Souls game or another game with a really challenging combat or something like that. Because a lot of it is just like uh, reading a walkthrough and just following del- like careful steps to um, to go get endless gold or like to go get the best weapon or like to go do whatever you need to do to actually beat the game. It's not, it's, it's rarely an enjoyable experience. That said, I had some nostalgia (laughs) for this game. So I kind of enjoyed it. If you have nostalgia for Sacred Frontier, go on, go do it. And if you're willing to like play something totally weird and experimental, enjoy. Um, but just be warned. It's very repetitive. It's very disjointed. It's very messy. It's it's very broken. But hey, Saga <laughs> Frontier's back, everybody. We did yeah, it. It's 2021. Hey, it's, it's so funny. I was just talking about this on Triple Click this week, um, which will air tomorrow. But um, the Saga series has gotten so much love from Square Enix over the years, as opposed to like their masterpieces like Chrono Trigger right. and um, other other games. And the maybe that's that, like, the reason why, though. I mean, I remember there, when we there visited is a reason Square. Why. Well, so that's that's the thing. Kawazu, um, who is the longtime, like, old-school Final Fantasy, old-school Square Enix guy who's been there for 35 years, is still a head honcho at Square. He's still a director, and he's the Saga guy, right? Um, as opposed to the Chrono Trigger guys who are all gone now. Like, Sakaguchi is gone. A lot of those people are gone. Um, so... Kawazu can be like, hey, I'm I'm doing saga stuff. I don't care how much it sells. I don't care who who wants it. I'm just doing it. Yeah. And I guess he has enough sway. Like that's how Japanese companies work. If there's a personality who can do something, then they just let him do something. And I don't think anyone has like the political clout to be like, hey, let's do a Chrono Trigger remaster because that would sell two million copies but instead they're like let's put money into saga frontier but it's also just so much less pressure like uh tokita who's a co-director of chrono trigger he's still there i mean i don't know if it's the last project he made but i remember years ago he mm. made like uh final fantasy some jrpg uh that was on ios i forget the name of that uh you know single player final fantasy game but anyways like he was still there but we talked to him about it and he said it's just like there's too much pressure on a new chrono trigger and plus like He's he was the director, co-director of that game. But then it's like, okay, what's he going to do? Go call up Toriyama to get his approval? Like, there's so many other people you need to run that through that aren't at Square that even if he really wanted to, and he's kind of up that, you know, chain pretty high, he just can't make it happen because it's just you're such talking a messy a project. Game or you're talking like porting the game to Switch? I'm just doing something new with Chrono Trigger. Doing I mean, anything. But again, honestly, just porting it on Switch, they could charge 50 bucks for it. 
that's a thing. They would make so much money just by porting. Really, some a lot of these old RPG. I mean, at Triple Click, we've been playing Final Fantasy VI, and the fact that that is so difficult to play these days in its original form, yeah, the iOS and Steam versions are all mangled and look gross. Um, it's just, yeah, it's really sad the way that uh, Square treats some of these games. But hey, Saga Frontier. Yay! I mean, I'm all for remastering everything, so I'm glad this <laughs> exists. I just wish Square would also do the same treatment to like Xenogears and Chrono Trigger and so on. And so on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, Jason, uh, we'll let you go, but I will talk to you next week and we'll talk more about your book and all that fun stuff. Goodbye. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, the only trick is you have to clap out at the exact same time as Jeffum or else the magic won't work. So good luck to the two of you for finally getting in sync. Ready? Okay. Now, we have Kyle Hilliard. Hi, it's me. Welcome. And then Jack Garcia, welcome. What's up? Um, Leo. Hey, man. Have you met Janet? Not publicly, not recorded. <laughs> no, I think we have. We've recorded. Have we? Oh, right, before, when you guessed did. it, yeah. But yeah. Yes, because I remember, and the reason I remember this is only because you have that ridiculously giant mug. <laughs> Thank it, you. Yes, it needs so to I, stop. Can, I never, that's the only, if I had a big mug, you also would have remembered that we recorded. So that's totally a me thing. <laughs> it's my bad. I have a normal sized mug. Um, right. I'll, I'll work on it. Leo, what I love about you, and let me count the ways. Um, is I feel like having a novelty sized mug is very <laughs> obnoxious, but you mm, don't really lean you. into it. I think if you were any you. other person on YouTube, you would have in your Twitter bio, like me, I'm a big mug guy, you know, like you'd be trying to, lean, you'd sell merch with the stupid big mug on it, <laughs> yeah, all that crap. And you just let it ride as is. Are you? Thank you. Leo, let me keep kissing your ass. Uh, Janet, it's great having you here, but look, Leo, star of the show here. I mean, come on. The other thing I love, Leo... It is what it is. You have <laughs> this personality where things that aren't even funny are funny because you do them. Like, my perfect example is I remember one time we were playing tabletop games a while ago at my apartment, and you came to come play tabletop games with the interns... And you just brought a six pack of strawberries. Like, that is the funniest drink that Leo could walk in right now with. Yet, not a joke. It's perfect. Thank you. Maybe I'm just not afraid to be me because you know what? Strawberries, delicious. No doubt they're delicious. Okay, uh, we should talk about the Strawberry of Gaming uh, Nintendo Indie Games, everybody. Uh, they had a showcase yesterday, as all Nintendo things. It was completely out of the blue. They announced. Uh, a bunch of little interesting things, I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, but should we just all share our favorite? Kyle, what stood out to you the most from that uh, Nintendo showcase? Um, I'm going to go with... Um, uh, uh, there is no game, I think was the one yes. that I was immediately like. I'm going to download that. The reason I paused, though, is I guess it has been out on mobile for a while. And on um, Steam. Yeah, okay, and I played it a little bit on Switch, uh, and it does feel like a port of a mobile game to Switch, which isn't a knock, it isn't a negative thing, but like it just, looking at it, it's like, oh, that seems like the kind of game that is rewarding for a person who has played a lot of video games throughout the course of their life. So, um, And that's me, it turns out, so I wanted to check it out. Yeah, so there is no game wrong dimension. Yeah, it came out on Steam last year. Um, I streamed it early this year on MinMax's oh, Twitch okay. account. Yeah, twitch.tv slash show. I played the entire thing. It's like four to five hours. Um, absolutely loved it. I was so excited to see it come to Switch. I hope more people check it out. Um, it is... Well, was at least one more person, so... Good. Done. It's so... Like, it absolutely would have been within my top 
seven, I think, from last year, uh, if I would have played it uh, in 2020 before we made that list. But it's it's kind of in that vein of like a Stanley Parable a comedy adventure game yeah. would be the, the best way to put it, um, where it's kind of... Point and clicky, kind of, if you want to put it in a genre. Yeah, but the argument from the title is there is no game here and you're trying to find the game. And it starts as a stupid bit and then goes a bunch of different places. You can never expect where it's going next. And it like it's one of those games that really sneaks up on you. And by the end, it's like, this is surprisingly poignant and kind of emotional it's really really great great uh are you gonna stick with it kyle yeah absolutely i mean i i you saying it's only a few hours four to five like there's no reason for me not to keep going i've already started i've already been playing for like 30 minutes i'm like halfway there oh great um okay (laughs) so the opposite of the longing i as far as i can tell but i i'm curious about that one too yeah the longing was also on steam and they announced it's coming to switch which is kind of an idle game and it was very funny to them for them to like try and make a sexy trailer out of the longing where it's just like a sad elf lump of coal slowly walking upstairs it felt like they would be better not showing us what it is. <laughs> you know what's funny? It's like I disagree with you guys. Like I was totally in like interested in it because of it. I just thought the art was really cool and like just seeing this sort of like sad, sort of slow moving, I was like, what is this? I, I was intrigued. So that, that's guys. good. That's I'm awesome. glad. I just truly was like, Oh, I wanted to play this more before this trailer played. <laughs> oh. That's not good. Uh, we, it we, happens. It happens. We streamed our reactions. Uh, Leo and I did. You can find it on Max's YouTube channel if you want to watch this Nintendo Indie Showcase. Um, and Leo was hooting and hollering during Azteca, Kyle, being like, this is Kyle's game, baby! Yeah, it looks it looks very like a God of War, kind of. Like, was my sort of the line that I drew. But yeah, it looks it looks cool. That's Yeah, I want to check that one out, too. Uh, Janet, uh, how would you rate the overall conference? What did you think about the, the showcase here? Um, I'm a little lukewarm on it. Uh, I, that's always going to depend on people's just personal taste, whether or not you enjoy an indie showcase, because they're always, um, you know, kind of a, a random smattering of things. Uh, Annapurna was there and I was like, yeah. OK, I'm down for that, even though the game itself didn't necessarily draw me in that they showed off. They showed off two games, but um, I'm down for anything Annapurna does, even if it ends up being bad to me. I just like generally what they sort of put out. Uh, but yeah. for me, Oxen Free 2, it's all about I got my Oxen Free shirt on. <laughs> oh I got my, my after party solo cup. <laughs> I am down (laughs) night school. Where are you at? I literally streamed that game (laughs) yesterday and I was talking about how I'm like, honestly, this is like one of my favorite games of all time. I think it might be in my top 100 games. Oxenfree is absolutely fantastic. If you haven't played it, I really encourage everyone to go out and do so. So you are the person um, that has Oxenfree night school in your Twitter bio about like, I am an Oxenfree person. Yeah, abso- absolutely. That's in there. It's there with the big mug. I'm, I'm pouring out a, a cup of night school and, and drinking that up. Um, but yeah, gen- genuinely, uh, Oxen Free is just such a fantastic game. I recommend it to everybody, even if you're someone who doesn't traditionally like story games. It has some of the best writing I've ever experienced in a game. And that's especially amazing because it is a game about teenagers. And mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all have been playing games that have teenagers in them, but often the writing is very... Cringy, very much like this is clearly an adult man writing as a teen girl. Yes, this totally. is a life is strange subcomment. Are you um, like, it's like okay, this is hearts specifically. <laughs> is that what's happening right now? There's a lot of people. The fact that you don't even know who I'm calling out mm-hmm. says what we need to know, right? Like, there's so many <laughs> yeah. examples. But uh, Oxen Free does such a good to- good job towing that line between being genuinely a group of young people, you know 
who are drinking on the beach and, you know, underage and like smoking and just kind of like hanging out. And it's a little awkward and there's like tension and so-and-so has a crush on so-and-so without being like teen cringe. Um, so Oxenfree 2, like I'm I'm ready. Uh, I'm all there. It yeah. also has like Oxenfree 1 is very, you know, for those who the uninitiated, it's essentially like a surreal trippy mystery game where uh, a bunch of these teens are on this island and you're interacting with um uh like anomalies with your radio and kind of picking up lost signals and you're trying to piece together one what's going on this island and two how do we get out there are these time loops you're trying to make sure you escape and actually find true safety you're reliving memories or maybe their dreams so it has a lot of like trippiness but it's also simultaneously very grounded in reality because while you're solving this mystery you're also just like Hey, do you remember that time back uh, at the school play where you like threw up on stage? That was awkward. Or like, hey, do you remember that? You know, and you're kind of just having these light conversations. Like you go from someone being possessed well, real, real to someone quick, being Janet, like, oh, let me question. go to your birthday party. It's wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, having not played a lot of Oxenfree, like, does, are you excited about the prospect of a sequel just because it's night school or because there's more to tell in that world of Oxenfree? Like, is there, yeah. d- did it leave off in such a way where there's like a tease for more? I think they're, I think yes, in the sense that um, essentially there's like this mystical island. So you can kind of put anyone there. It's kind of in like, oh, there's always the monster in like the Friday movies gotcha. or things like that. Yeah. So it lends itself in that way. Um, but I didn't necessarily end Oxenfree 1 being like, oh, I need Oxenfree 2 or whatever. But after playing After Party 2, like, which is a good game, but just didn't really hit the way Oxenfree did. I'm very excited about the prospects of Oxenfree 2 because I think that's where they really shined. It's like not only their best work, but I think some of the best work i've ever played that made it for me yeah i'm good with that everything else, i'm like i don't even need anything else i mean there's other games i think were interesting for sure um and like ports that i'm excited to see and stuff like that but oxen free 2 was not only the best thing from this showcase to me but would be the best thing at almost any showcase wow uh, honestly jeez night school yes. fan number one uh yeah they say yes. it's coming out 2021 so that's that's exciting um yeah i mean it's the the dialogue is is great and specifically the way it's delivered like the ability to like interrupt people like that's what I remember about loving about Oxen Free One more so than like, yeah, I guess there's some big crazy mystery and some surreal elements. I don't really remember where that story ended up, but like it's the small moments on the beach and interrupting people while talking. It's weird that like that is the star of the show. That's that Oxen Free brand that we want more of, I think personally, more than deciphering the lost signals, which is the subtitle for Oxen Free Two. <laughs> um, Leo, it seemed like there was one game that popped out for you. Yeah, Road 96, which uh, we were kind of wondering exactly what type of game it'll be. It says on the Steam page, procedurally generated road trip, which makes me think, you know, they showed a bunch of different road trip scenarios getting into. In this first person 3D game, you're, you know, on a bus and somebody pulls out a gun. You're playing the trombone in the back of a pickup truck. You're doing a bunch of like disconnected things and it's jumping around as like these are the different things that could happen on this road trip. And we were wondering if it's just one story with a bunch of branching paths or if it's like run based. But the fact that they call it procedurally generated makes me think that it's a run based road trip generator, which sounds just like the most interesting pitch for a game I've heard in a while. For sure. Yeah, they call it procedural narrative. It's very much that Ken Levine. It's amazing Ken Levine was able to call this without actually releasing a game about it, but his whole narrative Legos idea that he's been working on since Bioshock Infinite about just what if we play this game and it just has so many variables that's always going to be surprising. It even kind of reminds me of going back to like Spielberg's LMNO project, right? Of just this one maybe smaller experience, but just so many different things can happen. And so yeah, uh, Road 96, it's from Digix Art. 
who made Lost in Harmony, which was like this rhythm oh, romance I game. That. Yeah, it was it was surprisingly yeah. good. And then um, Eleven Eleven Memories Retold. Do you remember that, Kyle? This was what is it? What is it? Memory Eleven Eleven Memories Retold. It was the game about World War One. That's not the Ubisoft World War One game. And this is the one that they co-developed with Ardman Animation. With Elijah Wood, yes. right, was in it? Yep. I did an interview with the director at E3, yeah. Okay, okay. it's probably the, the same yeah. guy then, yeah. Um, but yeah, so they have more details on their site here, Leo, about Road 96. Uh, it takes place in 1996, of course. Um, on this risky road trip to the border, you'll meet unusual characters, discover their intertwined stories and secrets in an ever-evolving adventure. Every mile opens up a, cha- a choice to make. Your decisions will change your adventure, change the people you meet, maybe even change the country's destiny. There are thousands of roads across the authoritarian nation of Petria. And I saw an interview with those folks too. Apparently, uh, the game has a way for Twitch chat uh, to choose the path that you make as well. So not only is it going to be hmm. a weird procedural narrative, but you can also just completely hand it over if you want. That's great. That's so convenient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you barely have to play the game. It's really just reacting to different people trying to kill you on the road or exactly what's going on here. Um, but yeah, Road 96 is the name of that one. It's out later this year and it's also going to be on Steam. So that's cool. Um, Kyle, I thought for sure you were going to say Fez releasing on Switch. Oh yeah, I mean that's incredibly exciting. I, I, but I mean I've, in terms of like, if you wanted me to pick one to be really excited about, I'm going to pick something new. But I love Fez is amazing. I adore Fez, and I, I've had this thing all day where I'm like, you know, do I do? Is it time to replay Fez? Has it been long enough? Because mm. when I I played it when it came out, and it was one of those games that like I got every achievement for. Like I did everything in that game, and I did it without a walkthrough, which was like incredibly mm. difficult, and a lot of like writing notes and stuff like that. And it's like the the big thing that I'm excited about is seeing this sort of resurgence of Fez appreciation, and I'm kind of like, can we revisit that Fez two idea? Is it has enough time passed? I've have emotions cooled enough where we can kind of revisit that because it's like you wouldn't it wouldn't have been announced if there wasn't at least some core plan to that game. You now, know what I mean? are you interested in a Fez two because you think it ended in a way where you can pick <laughs> up, or is it just the idea of more Fez? The idea of more Fez. Hit you with that Uno reverse card over here. Percent. Smart. Just more Phil Fish making weird, you know, playing with mechanics in ways that you wouldn't expect. And like, you know, just how many more ideas can you have with new on a new platform? You know? Yeah. I mean, who knows? Phil Fish has been such a mystery since that moment. You can eat when he dropped off the face of the earth. I think he's been colonizing Mars or something for the last uh, he did seven VR years. games. He did like a VR puzzle game. Oh, is that right? Okay. So he's still yeah. out there doing something like yeah. Look, I know nothing, but I would be surprised if Fez 2 is not announced and re-announced someday. And then we, that doesn't hit the light of day. It seems like... Uncancelled. In this world where saying. cool gamers like us get everything we want, I'm sure Fez 2 will happen, right? Yeah. He's uh, got to run out of money at some point, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that gas yeah, bill comes out this. every month. <laughs> oh, yeah. He literally said at one point, I, I'm just taking the money and running, is what he said about Fez and Fez 2. He's so, like, Look, I, I made really enough money on it. That. I'm done. <laughs> He's know? got my money. Yeah. So. Give him more on Switch. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, that's, uh, yeah, other little things. New trailer for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Chris Tales, which is kind of that Paper Mario like RPG that was supposed to be out last year that's releasing July 20th, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, Konami lives they're releasing a new game uh, publishing at least and maybe co-developing uh, it's going to be out may 13th in early access called getsu fuma den 
which apparently is a spiritual successor or a sequel to an old game of theirs from like 1987. So it's like an NES game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Really wild. Um, Leo, I want to thank you. They also snuck in a house of the dead remake. That was weird. It's true. Wedged in there at the end. (laughs) Yeah. Don't you forget it. Uh, That's all it needs to be said. Leo, thank you for being here. Rainbow Six Siege has a Pickle Rick skin now. Tell the people. <laughs> okay, clap <laughs> out when you're ready. Thanks, sure. dude. Suriel Vasquez. Welcome, sir. Hello. Do I'm we here are, now. We're really <laughs> running the gambit. Let's keep this rolling. We have so many people jumping into the show. Suriel, um, I wanted you to be here because I love you and appreciate you, and also because you're oh. a huge fan of uh, Pac-Man Championship DX. And so yeah. it seems only right that when we're talking the sweet Pac-Man 99, we got you on this sucker. Um, have we all played Pac-Man 99 at this point? I have. I have not. Yes. Okay. Kyle, you can uh, be the, the wise person asking questions, seeking even more wisdom. So Pac-Man 99 is the new... What uh, is Pac-Man 99? No. <laughs> well, Kyle, I'll tell you. Uh, it's the Nintendo Switch Online uh, new game, very much in the vein of a Tetris 99, same developer. Arika? Is that how you pronounce it, Surreal? Yeah, I think it's Arika. Okay. Yeah, from, from the 99 series. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I really had this weird uh, Mandela effect with this where everyone was so excited. to be like, Pac-Man Battle Royale. I'm like, I feel like I've played a Pac-Man Battle Royale. Am I nuts? This already happened, didn't it? And it turns out, yes, it did on Stadia last year with Pac-Man Mega Tunnel Battle which is still, I think, a Stadia exclusive. But this is another Pac-Man Battle Royale, not to be confused with the literal game called Pac-Man Battle Royale, which is in arcades, which isn't technically a Battle Royale. The point is, Pac-Man 99, here we go, on the eShop. Um, Surreal, what do you think of this so far? It is a very weird take on Pac-Man. Uh, that <laughs> yes. I, it's, it, I almost want to call it like backwards Pac-Man because of how... Like you have to play it, you have to approach it very differently than you do Pac-Man in a way that I don't know if that was true for Tetris 99. Yeah, meaning like you should be scared when you see a red Pac-Man on the board because that will kill you. And it's weird to have a kissing Pac-Man kill a Pac-Man. Yeah, well, no, it's like mostly because I think the last couple, like the Pac-Mans that I really like, DX and Championship Edition 2, definitely felt like going as fast as possible on the map and like this increasing speed thing of just like clear these boards as fast as possible. And from what I've played and from what I've seen online so far, it definitely feels like the kind of good strategy for this game is to kind is to almost let the ghosts come to you and then eat a pellet when they're about to attack you, because the whole goal is to last as long as possible. Like you would in a Pac-Man in a battle Royale. Yeah. Because there's no, like there's no direct competition. It's not like the other uh, players are on the Pac-Man board, your kind of best bet is to just stay still. And like, there's the whole thing where the, the fruit repopulates the board, right? So you're basically trying to last as long as possible. And the best way to do that is to just constantly have a power pellet going. Um, and the best way to do that is to repopulate the board. So then what you're doing is you're basically waiting at stops near the power pellet or the fruit until something happens and you're forced to move, right? And so you clear the board and you start over. So it, it feels like a very different way of playing pac-man even though the board is like the same right yeah is it a fun way to play pac-man i think i think i like it but i yeah uh it definitely feels very different like of like oh a lot of my instincts as a pac-man player a lot of the times you know like especially in the dx version and the championship 2 version is that you see the train of ghosts and you want to eat it as soon as possible but what i ended up doing was like if they're on the way to the next power pellet 
like that's a fun bonus, but I don't know that I need to eat that entire trail because it could effectively like put me in danger if I did that. Because by the end of it, by the time there's like 10, 20 like people left, like those power pellets last so little that you're basically trying to gun it from one pellet to the next. Uh, and you don't have time to actually like engage with like fundamental tenets of Pac-Man in a weird way. Yeah. It's really a weird <laughs> version. I mm. I like it. It's one of those games like, I guess I'll try. And then ended up playing a surprising amount of time. It's like, it is a uh, visually nasty. Is how I would just <laughs> like, it's just so obnoxious. It's such a mess, but so fun at the same time. And like to have, you know, unlike Tetris 99, you don't get to see everybody's Tetris boards on the side. This kind of has like a simplified streamlined view of where everybody's at and stuff. But mm-hmm. there is so much crap flying around, so many different versions of ghosts. And you still have that Pac-Man DX thing of having the big chain of ghosts and that satisfying as it's increasing, which is right. just one of the most satisfying things in all of gaming. But I certainly haven't won. But Janet, you're like hot to trot on this thing, right? Yeah, I have won. So I am the ultimate... Pac-Man. I am the Pac-Man. Congratulations. (laughs) Oh, my God. um, I do feel like it's a very different way to play. Uh, Cyril, I really agree with you when you say that, like, unlike Tetris 99, this fundamentally changes what your strategy is in Pac-Man. But I do disagree on what the best strategy is. Like, for me, I don't I'm never really waiting on the board ever. Um, I'm actually like using the pellets, like kind of like you said, all the time. So I'm constantly moving and everything repopulates like unlike when you play traditional pac-man it's a lot of i mean if you were trying to like really score high it's a lot of it is a bit of that waiting and strategizing and making sure that every time you take a pellet you have to make sure you get all the ghosts on the first board because if you don't like once the boards get harder i was also shocked that they don't change the board in pac-man 99 it's just the one same board um Mm -hmm. so that was a, a bit surprising so you really did have to play it a lot differently like i was kind of always on the offense while in traditional pac-man your goal is to clear the board. So that doesn't involve a bit of offense, especially for scoring points, but it's, you can't just be eating the pellets all the time without really thinking about it. Um, it has the train. So your the goal for me was to consume a train to generate more ghosts and then make sure both trains are always consumed before I take a fruit pellet because that repopulates the board. And you, if you repopulate it before you've taken all your resources, you're wasting points because that sends like other ghosts and enemies to like other players. So just have some of the same tenants. Um, one thing that I was disappointed at is classic of these games. It's not explained how to play. I know. In any degree. It's absurd. At all. Like, the trailer explains a little bit. Like, I actually ended up watching the trailer after having already played, like, 12 matches just to try to, like, figure more of it out. And I still don't really get it. You have, like, abilities for speed or for, like, trains or other things. I always went speed because I'm a... I, I play Miss Pac-Man more than anything, which is a faster board. So I figured speed would would lend itself to what I'm used to and all yeah. these other things. But um, overall, I think it's, I think it is fun. Um, I really enjoyed it. It creates that same exhilaration that I get from playing Pac-Man. It's exhilarating for a different reason than traditional Pac-Man, but it's still very exciting. Um, it's very stressful and it's uh it's really fun. And I like that. I actually won this one. It's the first mm. time I've ever won any battle royale game, Tetris 99, Fortnite, any of them. I've never won. <laughs> I finally won. I feel like, very accomplished because I bought the Miss Pac-Man one-up arcade machine. And I'm like, if I can't do this, what, what was the $300 for? <laughs> you know, that was all a waste otherwise. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I recommend it for sure. Um, it's still so weird, too, how Nintendo's doing their online stuff. But this is the world we're in. It's the world we're in. Yeah, you can't predict it. Um, I did see just Hall of Fame tweet where somebody tweeted, Prince Philip dead at 99, now available on the eShop store, <laughs> which <laughs> it's really tough to top. 
Um, okay, let's see. I know this is I know this is not the crowd. At least I don't think it's the crowd. But real quick, they had the Age of Empires four gameplay reveal, and I guess for the in the name of a segue, in the name of a segue, they added Age of Empires two battle royale. Anyways, um, but they finally like showed off more of the gameplay for Age of Empires four over uh, the weekend. I had a reaction stream if you want to watch me uh, geeking out by myself. Um, but the weird thing is, first of all, it was very fun to see like the chat just light up. And just being amazed that like Xbox is really supporting this. Like it's amazing that Microsoft is backing this. They had a whole interactive site. They were posting so many streams and videos about it on the Xbox channel. Like they're they're trying their damnedest to get people interested in this RTS, which I appreciate. Um, and they showed like, you know, there's little details that are kind of fun. Like, oh, now the people can actually stand and fight on top of the walls in Age of Empires 4. Or like you can actually... Um, have ambushes where you can hide in the woods and you're out of the line of sight and actually like pincer movement to attack people and stuff. So there's fun details in there. People are a little torn on the art style. So people say it's a little too cartoony. Arrows are too big, all that fun stuff. But hey, it's coming, uh, what they say, fall 2021, I think is how they worded it. So it looks like it was one of my, one of my most anticipated games of 2021 after all, Kyle. It uh, The prediction came true. Thank you. Were you able to ascertain how much of that game is watching like 30 people hammer away at some building for like at a wonder for minutes at a time to watch it. Build. They had the infographics. They said 70% and, uh, and chat Love lit it. up. Everyone was excited about like hammering. Woo, baby. And then you figure out how to get, you spend like way too much time trying to figure out how to get them all to like hammer in a wave so that it mm-hmm. actually looks like thematically like, Oh, everyone's doing the wave while they're working and it's fun. I'm having fun building my, my, pyramid or whatever my wonder is surreal you understand age of empires like so few people do you get it do you think the arrows are too big ben great question janet um i (laughs) thank you i did not i think the problem was (laughs) is the classic problem of trying to make an rts look cool in trailers or in gameplay which is very hard to do and so the way they did it is i think they were zoomed in pretty far for a lot of the gameplay they captured and i think rts characters when you're too zoomed in it's tough to make them look cool so I think when you're zoomed out playing the game compared to just like watching this trailer, the proportions won't bug you as much. But based on that reaction, they're probably going to uh, shrink those arrows. So everyone, please relax. They will shrink the arrows. Um, but I'm looking forward to that game. They say a beta is coming soon as well. So hopefully we'll do more uh, covering Age of Empires 4 in the future. Um, Surreal? Yeah? Did you think the arrows were too big? No. Uh, do you know how this whole thing operates? Yeah, I I went on the deep web to find out, but mm-hmm. it, it turns out that if you cash in enough uh, uh, bitcoins, you unlock a, a web page called uh, patreon.com slash minmax with two ends. But then I learned you can just Google it or you can just put it into your web browser and it, it works the same way. It's like a life hack, man. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Patreon.com slash minmax with two ends. We are crowd supported. Thank you for spreading the word about minmax and supporting us in a big, bad way. Um, and thank you to some big supporters like the folks over at uh, Another Eden, the Cat Beyond Time and Space, which is the new JRPG from Masato the writer of Chrono Trigger, director of Chrono Cross, wrote for Xenogears, Final Fantasy VII. Um, but this is the mobile game that is now available on Steam, and it's a completely free game to play on Steam. Another Eden is the name of that one. Uh, and they want to let you know that with so many characters to recruit into your party and hundreds of unique abilities, combat is deep, challenging, and rewarding in Another Eden. It is a turn-based RPG. It's very soothing to play. Um, so you can help show the world that there's an audience for JRPGs on Steam, and it's free, so what do you have to lose? By checking out Another Eden over on Steam. Uh, and you can follow the link below, which is bit.ly slash minmax if you want a direct link there. Kyle, do you hear that? 
No. Yes. That's right. It's yes. Rainmaker. Oh. This week, MinMax is once again supported by our friends at Rainmaker.gg. Rainmaker is the all-in-one platform for streamers, developers, and publishers. If you're a streamer, Rainmaker gives you insight on your channel's performance and a full suite of streaming tools, including overlays, tipping services, chat bots, alerts, and more. Plus, get access to game keys from the world's best AAA and indie publishers. This week, you can check out campaigns like Saga Frontier Remastered from Square Enix and Temtem's new Sipanku Island expansion uh, from Humble Games. For devs and publishers, Rainmaker provides tools, uh, powerful tools at that, that help you analyze game performance and discover creators on the world's biggest streaming platforms. And when it's time to get your game out there, Rainmaker's campaigns feature make it simple to put keys into the hands of thousands of content creators around the globe. So you can head to rainmaker.gg slash minmax to learn more about them. Um, we all like games, right? Yes. Sure. And you know what makes games better? Um, frame rates janet say playing with other people playing with other people hey that's right uh check out the initiative which is the new tabletop game from unexpected games it's a brand new co-op game one to four players the initiative is a cooperative board game of clever strategy code breaking and visual storytelling stories told through a 42 page comic book a page is read before each mission to set the stage and show the consequences of your actions gameplay is a unique blend of strategy and puzzle solving it feels kind of like an escape room. So if you like escape rooms, co-op tabletop games, you can check out The Initiative from Unexpected Games. Uh, it is from the legendary game designer, Corey Koneska, who worked on Battlestar Galactica, a lot of other very popular tabletop games. Um, we had a community giveaway last week and Adrian Torres randomly won on Twitter. And he said that his kids are really into board games. He's really looking forward to this one. Um, and this week we'll have another giveaway for the initiative uh and that'll be on minmax's twitter account so follow us at twitter.com slash minmax show and uh, we'll have the details up there for how you can win a copy of the initiative the tabletop game from unexpected games also thanks to i am 8-bit they want everybody to know that etherborn is available on switch and ps4 this is the i am 8-bit exclusive edition of etherborn it comes with a fold-out poster with art by tony melly and a reversible cover sheet as well and that is available in their wonderful online store where you can go there and use the promo code APRILFOOLS, all one word, for 10% off everything under $100. And because I Am 8-Bit is very generous and very cool, every single week they give out a prize to the MinMax community. So if you support us at patreon.com slash minmax with two N's, at any tier you can submit a question or comment for us to read on the show. We're going to choose our number one favorite, and then I Am 8-Bit will ship out a prize from the wonderful online store. This week it is the Gang Beast Double Vibe soundtrack which is a game i just bought the physical version of uh i was looking for like a good game to get my nephews i'm like you know what gang beast that seems like a really good time for a bunch of silly kids to play anyways uh so our favorite question will win that soundtrack thanks to i mate bit so janet please remember each and every question that's asked from our community and we need to really honor the best of the best here I got you. Okay, great. First question comes from Andrew Baker. He says, Hi, Min Maxers. With the announcement that Sony is developing a remake of The Last of Us for some reason, what is the real Sony exclusive you would want to see remade? Personally, I'd love to see a remake of Jack 2 with modern open world design. It could be a real banger. Janet, number one game in the world is Jack 2. Where do you stand on yeah. the idea of that <laughs> being remade? I guess I'll go with that as well, only because there... There are some really rough spots of Jack 2, and I do think we could make that game, or that way, because I can't make it, <laughs> they could make that game better uh, and improve some of those those pain points. So sure, also because um, selfishly, I would love like a physical copy of that on the PS5. I have, mm. a, I have that game physical in some form, 
for every console back to the PS2, including the PS4, because I got the limited run copy of the game. Oh, um, I did that. So that would be cool just to round out that collection and have it on literally everything. So I'll go with that as well. Um, also, I feel like that that answer was specifically targeted at me, like the mm. way it was worded and everything. Jack 2, hell yeah. Yeah, they know what they were doing. Um, Kyle, is Jack 2 your favorite too? Uh yeah, no, I love Jack too. In terms of like yeah, of the Jacks. Jack and Daxter, yeah, like that's it's funny revisiting them. Like I think Jack and Daxter holds up the best, the original. But at Jack too, it just was like huge for me. Like it just, I, I, it made me a Naughty Dog fan more than any other Naughty Dog game for sure. Like in a huge way. Um, but the one thing about those games to me is like they still play and look pretty good. Like I'm not really eager for like a remake just just being able to play it on modern consoles is enough for me but like yeah i mean i think metal gear solid like that's the one that like that's constantly being rumored and it has been remade once before which i enjoy twin snakes i would love to see like metal gear solid one in a metal gear solid five engine or something better and just have sony fund it just make it exclusive to ps5 or whatever it's a sony it's a playstation exclusive you know, if you want to, it's it's a Konami game, but that's yeah. that's the one that I like to see revisited because that's the one that's a little tougher to go back to it. Yeah, I still, I still have my fingers crossed that they would remake Metal Gear One and Two into this bundled thing. I think they could make something really cool yeah. with those, with that skeleton of a story framework, which is right there. I think there's a lot of really yeah. cool interactions. And I haven't I haven't played those, so that would be more enticing Ooh. for me. Yeah, know? yeah. So. Um, uh, number one. I really would love uh, a new Parappa or a Parappa remake from Harmonix. Like, it must have been discussed at some point. Like, they're huge fans of Parappa over there. I know Alex Rogopoulos over to Harmonix loves Parappa. Like, he must have pitched it at some point working with Sony for all these years. But I think my answer is uh, Mark of Cree, which is that PS2 game with just some of the greatest animation I've ever seen in games. And like the idea of them going all in on just the animation budget for a new Mark of Cree, I would love to see it. And one of the animators, Billy Harper, is now the animation lead over at Sucker Punch. So give him the project. Let him head up a new Mark of Cree. Could be sweet. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I That's a game that I found for like five bucks in a discount bin and was just like, this is amazing. Like, this yeah. is incredible. I played and beat it. I didn't play the sequel, though, weirdly. No one did. No one did. Maybe that's why we're not getting a remake. Uh, I'd like to see a new version of Fantavision. Okay. That game that was just basically a screensaver. I'd like to see what that looks like now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Jack X Combat Racing. Yep. Hell yeah. Yeah. Queens of the Stone Age relicensed that music. Oh, that's yeah. right. It's confusing that there's contemporary music in this fantasy world. We're not going to think about it too much. <gasps> With UI designed by Neil Druckmann. Have harmonics right. remake Vib Ribbon and whatever CD you put in there makes a weird track out of that. Hell yeah, That'd man. Cool. Yeah, harmonics should just remake all of PlayStation's greatest. I want harmonics' take on Metal Gear Solid 1. Just let them do it all. <laughs> harmonics' take on Bloodborne. <laughs> Jiren uh, submits a question on Patreon. He says, hey, peeps, I'm bummed about the cancellation of Days Gone 2. Uh, I really enjoyed taking out those huge hordes of zombies or just riding around Oregon on my motorcycle. I'm sorry, Janet, do you want to try saying Oregon? Oh, uh, no, Oregon <laughs> or 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 something. It's also an or. I think we can all agree on that part. <laughs> they, I think it's pronounced right? officer. It's just Oregon. I, it's, I swear it's not it's not it's legal. It's Oregon. The cool people just <laughs> pronounce it. Yeah, just or. Like, oh, I'm going down to Orr this weekend. No one says that. Yeah. But anyways, um, so I enjoyed riding around Orr on my motorcycle in Days Gone, and it would have been cool to explore that world more. So my question today is, if you could resurrect one canceled game from the past, what would it be? Mm. As two, obviously. Uh, uh, is that really your answer? 
<laughs> no, I had a different one. But what is it? Oh, uh, so this isn't to say that I don't want the current version of Prey to exist, but the version of Prey that was a direct sequel to Prey. Prey Two. It was called Prey Two, Kyle. Was it? Yeah, Prey Two. So, yeah. yeah. This could be a. This could be the sequel to that game at this point. Yeah, like I. I really liked the original Prey. I think that was an interesting world. I liked the idea of like him being plucked out of Earth and just like having to figure out this alien world. And the sort of the ending was like given away in an interview, and it's just incredible. Like, what is I, it? It's uh, I mean, spoilers. Oh, yeah. No, a theoretical game. Yeah. The whole idea is like it really it's this a video game idea that I feel like not enough people have dug into where like almost like where it, cont- it uh, contextualizes why you're dying and coming back to life. You know what I mean? And like so you're dying over the course of the game. And when you finally beat the game, apparently that the planned ending was that it was going to show you aging and getting older and having a family and retiring and having a comfortable life. And then when you died on your deathbed you would come back to life and you'd be like a young man again, stuck in that like world where you have to like, you know, become a bounty hunter again. Like your loop just starts back around, even though you spent your whole, you had a life where you grew old and died. So he, you know that's just the, the one, whatever. that's the one life. Yeah. That like, like you, 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 as you die, as you're playing, like it's contextualized. You're like, Oh, I got to try this again. But like, when you win and you retire and be and you die of old age, it's still you're still stuck in that loop. And I just thought that was Matt, that would have been such an amazing ending. I just think that sounds so cool. That's such a weird idea. I like it. Yeah. Um, mine. I, first, I was thinking Starcraft Ghost, the old classic. But I'm more intrigued at this point by a game that uh, a friend of the show and previous um, participant of the show, Jason Schreier, talked about, which was that Blizzard was making that Starcraft first person game the starcraft battlefield take that got canceled a couple years ago that really broke my heart i would love to i would love to play a starcraft battlefield so that's my number one so anybody else have one that jumps out to him i was honestly gonna say starcraft ghost i would just want to see what that what that game would be like because i'm i'm a huge fan of that series so i know that they canceled it because it wasn't going to be good but i still would have preferred to play something that was not as great but still let me sneak around as a ghost i think that would have been cool yeah, well, you'll get plenty of time to do that when you're dead. <gasps> what if unless, they just released it you guys stuck back in Ghost Remastered? Yeah, you wake up at the beginning of your life. I think it's one challenge with this is how often do we even know the answer to this question of like what was yeah. and even like um, Days Gone 2, like, you know, Shrier had just mentioned like, well, it wasn't canceled. It just it wasn't picked up as an idea. Totally. Right? Um, so I'm sure there's probably a lot of games that I just d- didn't happen to know about. Um, I would have loved to see a full version of PT, not because I've played and loved PT, because I actually never got to play it, but just so we could remove it as a topic of conversation. <laughs> I think nice. we would all be better off <laughs> yep. if we could just be like, oh, it was a seven or oh, it was a nine. It was great. Not like, you know, just just whatever it could have been. Um, it would be it would be nice to not have to ever think about that game again and get to yeah. have a full version of it and get to see what the whole idea would have been. Well, maybe um, maybe Serial, yeah. maybe you can put it to rest right now. Like what what is the official review score for what PT would have been? W- would have been? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think a lot of the ideas that uh, it had were very special, but they kind of wear out their welcome. 
uh, over the course of 35 hours, which all games I thought the were same required thing. to be mm-hmm. at, so, that, at that time. So the as score, soon as they went on the boat, it just kind of lost me, right? Yeah, as soon as you go into, back into the into the house for the 15th time, and then this time you have to pick up another phone or whatever, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think my review would have ended. If this had just been the demo, it would have been one of the greatest games of the generation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they just padded it out with a bunch of crap, and... I, the the take on woman here by Kojima is just again problematic. <laughs> and score, somehow there are no women in the game, and somehow he still manages to have there this weird take on. And the score is like a seven out of ten. Seven out of ten, everybody. Wow. Don't forget I'm it. I'm like an eight two five myself. <laughs> this hypothetical oh. game. But I love I, this I think game. We're using it's so stupid. Scale. <laughs> let's hey. just let's just all try to like figure out what this game is by talking about it. Of like we're making this game as we're improving it. <laughs> <laughs> God's Garage writes in and says, Howdy, House Honors. Hi, God's Garage. Uh, he says, In honor of Floor 3 of Trivia Tower this month, congratulations to Ray Luaza. Spoiler for Trivia Tower this month, by the way. You can check out the archive on YouTube. Uh, it's it's a wild ride. It's fun. That's our community trivia show. Where if you support us on Patreon, you get to compete uh, in trivia to win prizes. Anyways, hey, what are some of your favorite, most memorable UI in video games? It's a feature that I feel like often gets overlooked, but when well done, it's really well appreciated uh mine has to be the kingdom hearts franchise as the look of your command menu changes from world to world matching the aesthetic and really making you feel like you're an outsider being fully immersed in the disney magic most memorable ui oh when i first read this question i was thinking like systems like i didn't think games and for systems i was thinking like the psp like just something about oh, like the interesting. kind of yeah like bubbly iconography of it um and like it still had the left to right up and down thing, but um, that one like always resonated with me if I was thinking console. Um, mm. I think for game, I mean, I, I actually haven't uh, spent time with Persona Five, so I don't want to like pretend that I'm a Persona fan. But uh, that UI is just stunning. I mean, it's people amazing. have cosplayed that UI, so <laughs> that's got to be like probably one of the best ones ever. Ooh, yeah. now that ooh, okay, next big convention. Can I cosplay the UI from Shadow of the Colossus, where I'm just a big pink grip circle? Wouldn't that be a good one? <laughs> but it's like a, it's like made out of like something fluffy, so you can like shrink it down. Right. So you, like people can squeeze you for as you. The harder using, I'm squeezed yeah. by a crowd, the smaller my pink circle gets. This yeah. has to be also, very post pandemic. <laughs> no, Janet, that's what's like avant garde about it. It is. That's like mm-hmm. you've beaten the game like twelve times, so it's like stretching all the way across. The and screen. then I release a bunch of lizards with white tails into the convention hall. <laughs> run, my children, run! Yeah, I'll be following you around with the sword that like points to the wherever our exhibit it, uh, exhibit booth is I or whatever. Can't, oh, I can't Why wait for like conventions. This like the fan fiction episode. We're just like conjuring these <laughs> scenarios that don't exist. I, we don't remember what the real world is like. Um, but yes, anybody else have any favorite UI that pops out for him? I, I was also going to say Persona. I don't know if I have. Yeah, no, that's just the, oh, the I, correct I, answer. I 100% expected you to say Dead Space, Kyle. Oh, yeah, that's really good I, because that gets the thing for sure. so great about that is like it's contextualized within the world, which I really love. Like, you know what I mean? There's no like on screen indicators or anything like that. I guess that's why I didn't really think of it as UI because it's all in world like like the getaway. You guys remember the getaway, right? Hell yeah. yeah. I don't know. Your shirt would get bloodier. You'd have to lean up against a wall. Love leaning. Love a good lean. Uh, uh, I, the the silver case, which is like Suda's first kind of game with Grasshopper, I think it was really cool because it was effectively it was a visual novel, but like depending on the chapter you were on, the the 
the interface would just completely change. And there were a lot of like cross cutting stuff. And like there was one chapter that was about like early cyberspace stuff. And that like the background of that one was just like sort of Matrix E like green text along the, the background kind of stuff. And the UI definitely makes that game a lot better than it otherwise would be. Right on. Luca Resigno submits a comment over on Patreon saying, I have a game and it's called Guess the Video Game from the Name of the Difficulty Level. I'll name a difficulty level and you guess what game it's from. Sounds easy. Yeah, if, if they say, if one of the entries is Nightmare Mode, there is no wrong answer. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, G-Unit Soldier is the name of a difficulty mode. 50 Cent, Blood on the Sand. Oh, Kyle, you... Damn fool. This is 50 cent bulletproof. If you're gonna come in here with that. that kind of sloppy answer, I don't know if you deserve a spot on the podcast. Um, this is yeah, like half a point, right? This is really I forgot that this was called this. The okay, the difficulty mo- mode is called adults. Uh beautiful Joe. Oh my god, Surreal! Wow. That yeah, is only, amazing. I was actually gonna post a, an image of it of like this is the only appropriate difficulty slider because it's because the two difficulties are kids and adults. <laughs> it's so good. They also changed some of the content too. Like the adult like opening is like way different than like the kid opening yeah. as well. Uh, the adults well, my only suggestion open? in that tweet would have been to reverse them so that the kids' difficulty exactly. is harder than yeah. the adults. Right, right. That's, yeah, absolutely. Do you think kids have harder lives than adults? I just think kids have more time for harder games is oh, I see. my take. That makes more sense. Kyle, you, you know kids. Um, do know you think one, yeah. your daughter's life is harder than your life or vice versa? Like when I, compared to when I was a kid? No, like right now. Is her it's life now. harder? It, no, her life's pretty good. She's okay. got it pretty good. But also, she can play like, Minecraft with her friends online whenever she wants. Yeah, like, but there's like a lot of emotions and a lot of things to learn and the world is scary. That's fun. Oh, no? okay. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, okay, it's this time. this is the hardest one. Uh, this difficulty mode is called monsoon. Heavy rain. Close. Second word <laughs> really? is correct. Indigo prophecy. Nope. Second word ah. was correct. How okay, many rain? How many games have rain in the title? Rain in the title. Hmm. We'll see if people watching us live can get this one. What can you tell me a console generation? Mm, uh, a sequel came out last year, came out of early access last year. The second oh, one. Risk of Rain. Oh. Risk of Rain. There yeah. we go. There we go. Um, this is inappropriate. Uh, there's a difficulty mode in a game called Nonstop Infinite Climax. Uh, Bayonetta. There we go, Surreal. Man, you're killing it. Uh, Fu- you got platinum down pat, man. You got it. Uh, Fubar. Platinum slash clover. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Spec Ops Fubar? The Line? Surreal! Yes! <laughs> oh my god! Oh, you're actually playing these games. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. You're playing them all right now, correct? Uh, okay, last one is New York Minute. Oh, Max man. Payne. Kyle! Yeah. I am so impressed by everybody. Wow. Mario Odyssey. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the New name's Pug. Minute. Submits a question saying, Hey, everyone. Have you had post-game sadness? I just finished Life is Strange and Before the Storm, and I spent several days feeling sad after leaving the world and those characters. I even ordered all the comics to keep it alive. Oh, my God. I did some research, and apparently this is a common thing for people after finishing a game or long-running show. Have you felt this? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Almost always. Yeah. Almost always. (laughs) Yeah. I I think it is like... Oh, God. I was going to say it's like it, it makes me think of the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind thing where it's like I wish I could delete 
me playing the original Fable out of my brain so I could replay Fable. You know, that was like, I remember being really sad when I finished Fable for the first time. Really? Fable? I never would have thought. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, for me, for me, it is always like those big kind of temple, usually RPGs. I think, although the last time I think I had it was probably Hades because that was mm. the thing where it's like I finished it so many times and had done everything for I just kind of like I, I still kind of want to play the game. But like I don't ha- like I am I have run out of reasons. I've like given I have given myself every excuse to possibly play more Hades, and now I am out of excuses. I need to spend time with something else at this point. And that was like 150 hours in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think mine is Yakuza Seven, where yeah. I, I just like those characters so much, and I even went back to it after I finished it. I'm like, is there anything else I can do? I guess there's a couple <laughs> things, but it's not like the meat of you know when you've been playing the game for so long and it's just such an epic to suddenly be yanked out and be like. That's it. Epic over. It just feels like, oh, I just yeah. want to well, hang out with them more. Like fell head over heels for Yakuza 7. Just absolutely loved it and and finished it and was like really genuinely sad. Just like, I don't even know what to do anymore. And I was like, there's seven other Yakuza games you can play now. This is great. And she's like, no, I, I want to hang out with Ichiban. I don't yeah. care about any of those other people. <laughs> yeah, we get it. Cure you, whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, part of it for me is that like, weird like obviously not super serious but like what do i do now like because when you like a game that much it's always like i know for sure that anytime i have free time i like i don't have to think about like ah oh, should i watch a movie should i do this it's just like i'm dead set on on finishing this game and when you're done it's like now i have to actually think about what i'm going to do with my afternoon <laughs> well, it's, it's tough to figure out like what can necessarily follow up maybe a game that you really enjoyed. Um, you know, I said like i get that almost always but it's not 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 every time cuz sometimes like i finish I definitely like bitterly finish games sometimes where I just want to <laughs> feel like I finished totally. it. You know, you want that accomplishment, but you're like, I don't actually like the game. Like I'm, I'm there with the medium where I'm going to feel so good when I finish it. Cause I've been wanting to finish it since I started it, but I have not finished it yet. Um, but then there's other times where you do genuinely really enjoy a game and it just feels like, what am I going to play next? That's going to give me the same feeling. And when you don't have the answer to that, I think that's kind of where that it's like an emptiness. Um, I call it game hangover. Mm-hmm. Same thing happens with books a lot too, um, is the other common medium. I think the last time I maybe felt that was maybe it was last of us one, just because it's um, it, I played that for the first time, like only maybe like a, a year or two ago, like the oh, year wow. that last of us two came out is when the first mm. time I finished it. Um, and it's like, okay, well what happens next? And obviously the, the next game was coming out like a month later. So that was convenient, but yeah, it just sort of is like, you know, after you dig into a really grand story, it's like, what's going to be the next big thing? And especially if you're playing a game that's like very acclaimed and like, you don't know what you, when you're going to find that next. Um, but that's also what makes it so special. Like when you finally find those games that really click and, and really suck you in. Um, I mean, that's honestly why I play games like in pursuit of those moments. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Victor Fam has a question that I think is interesting, but I'm I'm open to being corrected if people think this is lame. Uh, Victor Fam writes in, he says, what is a JRPG? Is it a genre or simply an RPG made in Japan? If it is a genre, what makes it so? Does that mean having turn-based combat systems? If so, that would disqualify games such as Tales of Symphonia, Final Fantasy XV. Is it an anime-inspired look? What defines it? This is one of those like, what do you mean? Of course, it's just a Japanese RPG. But then I really had to stop and think like, is there any Japanese RPG that I would hesitate to call a JRPG? Like something like a Dragon's Dogma? I f- guess I'd feel weird calling that a JRPG. Yeah, especially because I think that game specifically cribs so much from like it definitely feels inspired by, you know, like I think they've mentioned it like a uh, Skyrim. It felt like, oh, let's do our version yeah. of like this open ended action rpg thing 
Um, but uh, yeah, I think Dragon's Dogma is maybe a good example of a game that's maybe on the border, but I would still, I, I would still probably say it's like, if you wanted like best JRPGs, if I saw Dragon's Dogma on it, I would not be like, well, this list is bull crap or whatever. No, like, but at the same think- time, if I was like, I'm looking for a new JRPG to play and you recommended Dragon's Dogma, I'd be like, what? I guess. Yeah, like there are definitely like more solid examples, but like something like Tales, I think definitely fits. Of course, yeah, yeah. It's not turn based. I I don't think the turn based thing is is like set in stone. And fifteen totally counts, even though basically an open world. Yeah, you know, so it's not necessarily the lack of the open world thing. It's a it's kind of a murky, funky thing. Murky, funky Toreno. Shuffle. Oh, just a style of storytelling, almost like. That is reminiscent of like anime, maybe. I don't know if you want if that's too mm. broad or not accurate, but there's certainly like a JRPG has a tone. What about what I mean? expectation of the player? What about a Paper Mario or your Mario and Luigi? Yeah, see that. Yeah, I don't know because that is very. That feels like maybe that's just so localized that it feels like sort of a Western sense of humor, but. Hmm. I don't yeah, know. I would. I would. I would. But it's, Super it's Mario not RPG on the SNES, like really, right? It doesn't have grinding. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Shuffle guy writes in and says, "Hey, Ben and the Hansons. Hello. Uh, imagine you were on a dating site and your match had the tag gamer. Which games would be the biggest turn off? <laughs> oh, Shuffle guy, you're wild. <laughs> uh, so mm. this is obviously a generalization. So if you play these games, like don't feel any type of way about it. And I think it, I love this question because this is inherently what dating apps are like, you know, as someone who has used dating apps in the past, like it's you get a very small amount of information and you need to make a decision on whether or not you're continuing yes. for it. It is very gamey. If you pretend it's just a dating sim, you can like, you know, some people are like, oh, I don't want to do it. It's like, what? you know, it's, it's basically like playing a visual novel. Like, let's go. <laughs> it's a game in itself. Um, and you can even pay to get extra stuff. It's like, it's literally like a mobile game. Yeah. But I would say um, Call of Duty because it strikes me as a very like bro-y. Basic. Like, it gives me bro vibes. Yep. So I'm like, not not a fan. Um, yeah. I think specifically for something like that. Yeah. It's like, not not the fact that you like Call of Duty, the fact that you're willing to put that on your profile and say like, yes, this is that's the thing your main that thing. Mm-hmm. Another one, Death Stranding. Not what? because I actually haven't played Death Stranding, so it's not, I, I don't feel any type of way about Death Stranding. But like, if you have Death Stranding in the bio, I'm like, mm, I feel like you might be like a head-ass Kojima stan. And like, I'm a little <laughs> bit of a Kojima stan, but like, I don't want to talk about like if that's like your personality like never i, I can't do it never talk it. about hiyokojima on a first date that's a rule that we can just <laughs> broadcast around the world it never goes well yeah you will regret your words indeed <laughs> <laughs> yeah those are the two that really stick out i'm sure i could think of more if i yeah yeah uh, I, I feel like the trip become human which i know is a, is a <laughs> course that i keep beating but that I one came it. up in my household too i asked him this question oh, that really? was one that got named <laughs> That's so funny. I loved uh, back when I was on the dating scene, like it was always the most fun thing because eventually video games would come up and people just have the most oddball like games that they were really into. But it was just fascinating. But like, you know, I remember one person I went on a date with was super into Commander Keen. Another person was really into Willow on the NES. One person was like, uh, my favorite thing is the story and the lore of Guild Wars 2. And I'm like, that is the nerdiest thing I've ever heard. But I am <laughs> riveted by this. Like, Takes all kinds, you know? Um, James Ford writes in and says, Hello, cohorts. Do you have a minimum amount of time you put into a game before jumping off a cliff? Um, They say a few hours, or if you aren't compelled to play after the first session, do you force yourself to play a bit more? Uh, I mean... There are definitely games that I'm like, what? Why is this? Why are people engaging with this so much? Yeah, where I will Bound put in more world. time. 
<laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. yeah I was like, what? Well, that was more just like, that was research. Like, that was just like intellectual sort of curiosity. But like something like... um yeah, if, I think that's another one, actually, to go back to the other question. If I see that on the... If I, see, <laughs> I somehow bought a physical copy of Battle in Wonderworld, and, and that's on your profile, that's kind of a red flag. <laughs> I mean, but I, I've gotten a lot a better in the ladies. last few years, especially. It's just like, I'm not having fun with this. I'm going to put it down. But then mm-hmm. there's stuff... It's a, I, the, I just Genshin Impact, right? That's the Breath of the Wild-inspired one, right? Yep. That's the title? Okay. I played that for like 10 hours and it was very much like I need to play a lot of this to try and understand what it is, why people are so engaged with this and what they love about it so much. And it and I did like intentionally keep playing past the point of not enjoying it to try and figure out what it was. And I never found it, you know. So you yeah. wasted your time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I learned a lot about Genshin Impact, I guess. <laughs> there you I, go. Yeah, I think my time has gone down. You know, I I uh, am very spoiled with the amount of games I get to play, and so it is a lot of that. Just like, let me try this out. And there are games that I am ashamed of, where it's like, oh, I I check that out. I, I gave it a whirl, and then I'll look at my Steam play, and it's like, you played that for seven minutes. <laughs> like, oh my god, I should not even rightfully include that on my list of games that I technically checked out. But you know, some of those you got to note pretty early on. Um, yeah, I think like same same deal. Like, it's I can bounce off as. I think the lowest I've bounced off is like maybe like two or three minutes. Like sometimes you can just and then these are like on games that I think I was warranted to play like the two or three minutes of them. I'm like, OK, this isn't designed well. It's like doesn't play well. It's not good. It's not going to get better. There's no redeeming qualities here. <laughs> Goodbye. Brutal. Uh, <laughs> I'm just calling call it like I see it. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't go and tweet about it because I don't think it'd be valuable to anybody. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like um, though, I would say for. I guess games that you more genuinely are intrigued by, I think like, you know, like Road 76 we were talking about before. That's one yeah. of my anticipated games of the year. I, I could, I might love that game. I might hate it. That's a game I probably would spend more time with because I'm intrigued enough at the base concept that I think it's worth checking out. Um, I do like my best of 2021 watch stream on Fridays and I always stream for like four hours. And I love four hours as like an amount of time to get to know. I think that's good enough time to get to see most of most games. Um, other than a few like you know outliers like Monster Hunter Rise or maybe like yeah. a really gigantic game, um, so yeah, I think that's a good one if you're like maybe looking to find what that time is for yourself, like two to four hours. But honestly, yeah, if you you once you get to know yourself more as a player, you can tell when you're you are or aren't gonna like something, and then you can just leave because you don't need to do it. Especially if you don't do it as a living, just just walk away. No I would love done. to walk away more. It would be so cool. But uh, <laughs> I enjoyed this too, so it's a different kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Jacob Hubbard writes in, he says, Howdy, Ben and the Bandits. Sure. Uh, This week, I got back into playing Rainbow Six Siege because of Pickle Rick. No, Uh, Rainbow Six Siege with some (laughs) friends of mine, and while it certainly was a blast, it made me think about the end game for a lot of these quote-unquote living games. I mean, how many operators could they possibly cook up? My question is, what is realistically the fate for these hugely popular online multiplayer games? Obviously, things like WoW have shown a game's lifespan can be huge, but won't it theoretically come to an end? Do you think we'll still be playing Destiny or Overwatch in 15 years? Overwatch will be weird because they'll like share that pool with you know cross over- multiple games. Yeah, who knows what's going on there? And Destiny, maybe they'll try and branch that direction as well. But I do like that idea of like at some point they will say that's all for Rainbow Six Siege. It's going to be such a weird day. Yeah, I I don't know. Like I don't think there's like a set like number of parameters that it's like okay once it's it's been on for 15 years and people aren't playing anymore like i I think it's just going to happen on a per game basis but 
we don't have a ton of precedent. I think like WoW is a good example of a game that's like, yeah, it's it it's been around for at this point what seventeen years almost, uh, and that has like it's not as popular as it used to be. I'm guessing, but it's definitely not going away anytime soon. They say it's a fad. They say it's going away. It's not going away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a thinker. It'll be fun to see. Uh, you know, there's definitely going to be a lot of outraged fans in the future. So there's something to look forward to on the internet when they eventually shut these things down yeah. and start winding I mean, them That's down. way different than what we have now. Right, exactly. content fans. It's really wild. Yeah, yeah like the, the alternative, though, is that like at the extreme end of this, you know, in like 50 years, there are going to be people in retirement homes who are still in like on their Discord servers mm-hmm. at age 60, like with the same five group of people playing Siege. And they're just mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're just still playing. Um, I really like Operator number 450. I think they're pretty yeah. cool. I, I've been playing them for a good while. And, and they're just like, made by an ai at that point just like spitting out a new operator every month whatever yeah they're they're all nfts i guess yep that's cool (laughs) (laughs) james smith writes in he says hey video game fans i have here another round of our favorite game crusader kings 3 patch notes where contestants (laughs) have to decide whether crusader kings 3 patch notes are real or made up without further ado here are the patch notes uh janet you have to make the call is this real or is this fake patch note it is now possible to recruit children from prison as long as they're not heir to one of their liege's titles. Fake. No, that was real. That was real. God damn it. Why is that real? I would have thought like, I was like, surely no one would make this in today's world. Uh, Serial added oh, no. the chin goatee beard variant. Fake. Very real. Kyle. Lowered chance already in there. I think have to add that. Come on. Lowered chance for child heirs to rebel by going on a killing spree. Lower it's a lower chance. So it's like a child killing spree. Yeah, I, I'm. Well, say the child's doing the killing spree. Yeah, right. yeah. The child is doing. The, they're not killing children. I, well, I mean, they, they might could, be. Right? We don't know. We, don't we have know. no way of knowing. We don't have the technology. That's fake. That's fake. Janet, if you're ordering your spy master to find secrets in your liege's court and you are your liege's spy master and are disrupting schemes, you no longer disrupt your own spy master's scheming. Real. (laughs) Very real. Surreal. You will no longer get stress from parents or siblings dying of old age when they're 65 or older. If they're friends, if they're, hey, if they're friends or lovers, you might still get stressed though. I'm going to I'm still going to say fake. That is real. Oh. Kyle, your rival flinging a corpse at your castle now gives you an imprisonment reason if they're your subject. Real? That is real. Janet, right. pregnant spy masters will no longer Oh my god. Continue. <laughs> Janet, pregnant spy masters will no longer stab themselves. Oh man, so many thoughts and emotions run through my head. Uh, I'm gonna say, oh, faith. That is a real patch note. But at I least mean, that's good that, that they changed that. Yeah. Though, yeah. That sounds horrific. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Christianities. Hey, uh, Aesir Lord Thor writes in. He says, "Hey, Wait, so co- only one of those was fake? That whole game?" Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Aesir Lord Thor uh, writes in he says hey with Austin Winery coming down so hard on the Final Fantasy 7 remake soundtrack on a recent episode of your music podcast Crossfade yeah I unsubscribed after that moment I was so outraged um, I've got to ask how much stake do you put in other people's opinions 
It's easy to brush off people whining about not all the Pokemon being in Pokemon Sword or Shield or people hating on The Last of Us just because Ellie is gay, but I have a hard time reconciling it when someone I like and respect, who's a master of their craft, says that one of my favorite video game soundtracks has major flaws. To be fair, Austin, what he said on Crossfade, and I think he talked about it on Playwatch Listen as well, um, is he said that he doesn't know if it should have won Best Soundtrack because so many of those songs were kind of new versions of older songs, which, yes, there are, but, I mean... If you look at the volume of that soundtrack, it is, by and large, new music. I mean, by a landslide. By a, by a very small landslide that would cover your foot. Um, but yeah, how do you, how do you stand... I don't think you're allowed to use the word landslide at that point. <laughs> a small landslide. A toe slide. Um, but yeah, how much stake... You get the idea of the question. Does it ever bother you when somebody you look up to just has an opinion that is just wrong? I think less of them as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, that's half a joke. Half not. Like I, for me, I try to really like hold my own opinions and and keep those protected. Like I even go out of my way to not really consume a lot of like tertiary content or review content until I've looked at the thing myself, so that I kind of can go in fresh. Um, I think if it's someone who is an expert in a field that I'm not an expert in, I am more likely to think that they might be more quote-unquote right than me even if i have a different opinion so a good example is like uh music based i listen to and watch like anthony fantano aka the needle drop uh on on youtube and he has like in my opinion really great music opinions and he might hate an album that i loved and i don't care because one i still love the album and two yeah he could be right it could be not that great musically but like i don't need it to be great musically because i like it and like am i a music expert no absolutely not music is basically like another language so like What's weird is everyone listens to music, but not everyone actually like has the analytical ability to engage with music. And that's fine. Like you don't need to have that to like art Um, when it's games. Like I'm a lot more, you know, I I consider myself a lot more of an expert in that field. So Mm -hmm. like I have my opinion. I feel pretty, you know, firm on that. Um, I do enjoy getting like alternative opinions to just hear what other people think. And maybe it helps like kind of color my perspective and enhance my perspective. But, you know, I've heard plenty of people say that that's the Jack 2 thing that like, oh, Jack 2 doesn't age well. That game is now crummy in the modern era. Uh, I disagree with that. But at the same time, I think there's validity to that. And I can kind of, you know, process that all together. Um, You know, sometimes I'm definitely shocked if like someone I really admire loves a game and I play it and I'm like, this game sucked. I'm like, that was weird because normally we align, you know, know. so I kind of just um, look at it as a, a taste making thing. I don't I don't it doesn't make me angry or anything like that who's your favorite um games press journalist personality the person you look up to the most janet that you like you really their opinion super matters uh i don't oh god i follow so many people that i'm not really sure at this point you had Um, to choose oh maybe someone over at waypoint vice um patrick klepik's pretty fire okay his um i think game opinions so that's my quick off the top of the head okay but there's if you see me on twitter retweeting people those are the i think you can follow me and get a sense of like who what critics i follow and who i uh enjoys perspective but yeah this this may sound uh like like a joke but i serial has influenced me like to check out things I never would have no, normally checked out more than anyone else. And really? it's probably because I know him personally, but I mean, like, we love Surreal. Yeah, we yeah, do yeah, love Surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I bought no, Monster yeah. Hunter Rise because you wouldn't shut up about it. And I've actually been having <laughs> a decent time with it. Hey, hey look at that. That's good to hear. I feel like it's less about individual. Like, I think when someone says, like, if someone says, like, you know, this game I like sucks or whatever, I don't necessarily take too much stock in that. It's like, whatever, you can pass off it. Um, but I think it's when they, I, the thing that sticks with me is like when they give reasoning and I'm just like, I, I got sometimes I'll chew on it and it's like, well, maybe that's true, but I I don't really mind it. But there are times where it's like, I just don't think that's true. Of yes. like, I, like, I don't agree with this point. Like, 
fine. You can dislike the game or whatever or like the game for that reason. But it's like, oh, this has one of the most like deep relationships. And if like I'm just like that relationship was super shallow, like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't understand it like that. That to me is the thing that will stick with me. And I don't necessarily think less of them. It's more about like I will mull those opinions over. And like there are times where I'm just like, I don't I don't see it. Uh, but, you know, like there are very few people where I just like develop a personal animus over, you know, some <laughs> random video game opinion they have. Yeah, I am still enraged, though, that Jeff Gersman does not like the reboot of Amplitude on PS4. Like that really the fact that like all of Giant Bomb bounced <laughs> off it so hard. I'm like this. This should be your game, Gersman. What are you doing, man? It, it really drives me nuts. I can't sleep. Oh, Help not good me. Do we need to talk about that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyways, hey, Chris, Chris Prohaska writes in. He says, hey, cohorts, uh, I've got about an hour left in the awesome PopCap documentary. Uh, thank you so much for watching and listening to it. Um, so I'm sorry if this comes up, but do any of you know about the Plants vs. Zombies theme park ride? Uh, Carowinds in Charlotte, North Carolina has a 3D shooting game that's a little like Disney's Midway Mania, except you're divided into two teams on one giant screen and you play a theme park version of Plants vs. Zombies. It's like old garden warfare theme. Like he had a video of it and I'd never seen this before. It's really crazy. And they have like standees where you take a picture with it and stuff, but it's like a weird video game anomaly. I appreciate that, Chris. They have a little, a little booth where you can develop plants, but it's like way slower because it's there. You're using actual plants. So it's just a little garden you have to grow <laughs> over the course of three weeks. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you can eventually grab it and then throw it at a zombie. Yeah. They give you little packets of seeds that, that say like, Oh, this is sunlight. I don't know. <laughs> It says, I don't know on the back. Uh, Ryan Grealish writes in and asks, what game mechanic are you trash at? Personally, I can't keep a small dot from getting hit by other dots like the combat in Undertale. I recommend See, you check out. That, yeah, that's a big problem because that's the whole thing. And that's that kind of the whole thing. To yeah. let those dots not get hit by those other dots. It's really important. You should check out Hyperdot from front of the show, Charles McGregor. <laughs> it seems exactly up your alley. Yeah. Uh, I'll always be a terrible sniper. Like, <laughs> oh, always. Yeah. Like my daughter who has played far fewer shooters than me is already miles better at the zoom in gun than I am. Like, <laughs> zoom I in gun. That's, That's adorable. Fun. I love that. Yeah. Can oh, we now call great. it that? Yeah, is that what they call them? Zoomers? Mm-hmm. That's it. You got it. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's hor- actually kind of horrific if you think about it. Um, I think like just to name something that isn't just shooting based. Um, Realistic driving. Like the more yeah. realistic, the worse I am at it. Even something like Forza Horizon, which is kind of floats between arcade and sim i'm hitting that rewind feature all the time because i just cannot i can't drive and maybe it's because i can't drive in real life i don't know but like i'm bad at it wait so, yeah you're, you're saying hang on sorry you'll brace yourself for this joke <laughs> janet you're saying forza horizon can be played um hang on how do you how do you, how do, you do this joke Take your time. how do you do this joke it's like you mean forza horizon can be played in not reverse time <laughs> And not rewind, Janet? Yes, mm. sure. I don't know how to help you here. I'm so sorry, but I would if Look, I could. What I'm bad at in games, laughter. what I'm trash at is trying to make jokes about being bad at Forza Horizon 2. <laughs> mm. Anyways. Yeah, driving is, though, like the thing where where I feel like I will screw it up all the time and just think like, oh, that's fine. I'm better at this in real life than I am in a video <laughs> game, which is usually the opposite of what video games tend to do. Of Like, oh, I would probably suck at like you know, like wall jumping in real life. I probably couldn't do it to save my life, but driving, I feel like I can do better in real life than in games. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm terrible. Oh, go ahead. The thing that I always kind of struggle with is 
I don't know if this was like a mechanic, but like just puzzle solving in general, I think I get stuck a lot. And I think it's, I don't know how like my times to like solve a particular puzzle are for when like, oh, you need to go collect this thing. I think I'm probably average, but I think I get really insecure about that stuff of like, totally. like why am I not figuring this out? Why am I dumb? Uh, so I get really in my head whenever like I'm stuck on like, oh, you need to go get this key from this guy. It turns out like the thing you just skimmed over this very obvious thing. I tend to get really like in my head about that kind of stuff. Totally. Um, Tanner Hoisington writes in, he says, howdy cohorts. For some reason, I was thinking about the old where are y'all sitting meme when you walk into a cafeteria and have to choose a table to join. And I thought, why not make Midmax do this? So here are a list of tables that consist of at least one cool kid and one loser from the Super Smash Brothers roster, and you have to choose where you're sitting. Uh, table one, okay. Captain Falcon, <laughs> shirtless Shulk, oh. and Bowser. Solid table. Table two, Joker, Wario, Jigglypuff. Table three, Isabel, Sonic, and Sephiroth. Table four, Snake, Cloud, and Daisy. Kyle, where are, you, where are y'all sitting? What, what's the last one again? Snake, Cloud, and Daisy. I mean, that's that's probably where I'd I'd go. I feel like Snake and Cloud have interesting stories, but I guess it's more about like who do you want to be associated with, right? Right. But I still think that. I, I mean, yeah, it sounds like a nature them. documentary. Think, but shirtless Shulk is like, no, nah, I'm good, you know, and <laughs> like. Joker is, he's disappearing. He's off to something. We suspect that he's, he's becoming himself. Yeah, table two yeah. Is, is undoable because Joker, he's going to steal your stuff. Wario's going to fart while he's eating some school cafeteria pizza and Jigglypuff will make, make you fall asleep. Like that I table is just that, horrific. I think that's my table though because I think that's probably <laughs> the best. I think, I think Isabel alone would bring so much warmth to the, like, I just like being around this person. This person's just really fun to be around and Joker, I think we probably would have the most in common of just like we're probably into the same stuff i think i would be annoyed by wario because i think yeah. his stick would get old really quickly but we can just kind of ignore him for the most He's part probably got a lot of money if yeah, I buy and, your lunch ooh, or something. that's a good that's point true. uh so but i think the snake cloud one is probably mostly for the association but i think they would be awful to talk to because i think the whole <laughs> point is that for both of those characters they are they have really alienating personalities and can't really do anything but be in combat a lot of the time right. so i think that would be a really that would be a rough table where you just have like one like hey uh can i trade your chocolate milk for my orange juice and that would be the entire exchange you have that entire thing but everyone would think you're cool for hanging out with snake yeah i mean daisy is a good time like she has she's been That's around true. she's played all the sports like you always have something to talk about with her yeah, but then like I, you, that also could go the other way where she's like she's talking about all these great things like, oh, yeah, I go, you know, volunteer uh, every weekend <laughs> and I spend so much time like doing all these like, wonderful things. Mm. And you're just like, yeah, I don't do any of that stuff. I'm just like, look, Daisy, I get it. You're like a better person than me, but mm-hmm. you don't need to make me feel bad about it, even though. And then you feel worse about that. It's because like she's doing all these wonderful things, but I feel like that's that's making me frustrated with her for being a good person. Yeah. Like, and that's on me. Yep. That's really, that got really heated real fast. What's the third table again? Uh, the Freak Show. Uh, this one's Isabel, Sonic, and Sephiroth. It's honestly, oh, that's God. maybe my number two choice. I, I think that one, because of the Freak Show table. Um, Isabel, you know, it's friendly enough, sure. Like, a little too friendly, but like, that's okay. Uh, Sonic, I don't know, man. I mean, Sonic's like, it's kind of, it, on any given day, that might be a good or a bad conversation. I feel He'll like be... Sonic at least has high energy. I feel like I'd... 
sit with Sonic and like you ever around those people that have really high energy all the time and you're like, oh, like I'm kind of feeling this day now all of a sudden too because you're you're hyped about it now I'm hyped. He'd be then, sucking um, on chili dogs Sephiroth? the entire time. Yeah, Sephiroth. I can finally is a third. figure out who Sephiroth is because I still don't know who this man is. I played Final Fantasy VII Remake and I'm like, <laughs> who are you? Why should I care? So like, let's hash it out. Like let's <laughs> let's figure out what's going on. Like what's your life story? Why why are you the way that you are? So that's that's where I'm gonna sit. Okay, nothing but Wait, so is Isabel not at the Joker table. Who else is at the Joker table? No, no. So I think you swapped Jigglypuff is with Joker oh, and Mario. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think I'd still probably pick that one. They feel kind of like the same. Probably, he's like feisty. I don't know. Like if it's mm. a cartoon version and not like a generic Jigglypuff. I think I think we could get along. Okay, there we go. Barrier, notwithstanding. Uh, question of the week. What do you all like? I like the difficulty one. I like the difficulty one too. I like that it wasn't yeah, just I like, like the one. Doom stuff. Um, I like memorable UI. Um, but yeah, difficulty. You feeling good about it? Difficulty. All right, yeah. that is Luca Resigno. Congratulations, I am 8-Bit. We'll ship out the vinyl soundtrack to Game Beast, which is uh, quite good, so congratulations. Now it's time for something we like to call Get a Load of This. Okay. Whew. Janet, how are you feeling about your entry this week? Um, I'm just going to say the entry, because I don't like caveats. So, okay. uh, get a load of this. Um, th- what... I was on TikTok earlier uh, this week and I saw this is not new by any means, but I thought it was really interesting as someone that isn't a big math person. But it was pie visualized using pizza pies and they like cut up all the crust and like did this whole thing. And I just thought it was a really fascinating way to look at it. Uh, You know, pie day wasn't that long ago. So that is my get a load of this. Nice. There's a link below. Yeah. uh, If you want to see what it's all about. Kyle, you're blurry, but do you want to share your get a load of this? Am I really? Yeah. It's it's Dude, honestly like put your hand in front of the camera, see if it'll focus it. It's like there's Vaseline on the lens. Focus. Hey. It did. Hey. Hey. All right. Uh, I came across. Oh, hey, get a load of this. Uh, I came across this thing. Someone was sharing it in a GIF on Twitter, and I was like, "What is this?" And I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole to track this thing down. It's a it's like a five minute animated short from the eighties, uh, Japanese anime. It was created exclusively for showing at a convention. It was never meant to be for sale. It was never meant to be like they could. It wasn't meant to be shown in theaters or anything. It was just this like yeah. science fiction convention that they showed it. And it was like animated uh, at, just by fans who were learning how to animate, who later went on to create anime like Neon Genesis Evangelion. And it's amazing. It's like five minutes long. And it's like this uh, woman in kind of like the, the sort of the bunny outfit, like the sort of I, I guess it's like Playboy bunny, but it's like I, I think more of like Bulma and Dragon Ball, you know, mm-hmm. of course. And it has her <laughs> number one going, Playboy bunny. Yeah, she fights Darth Vader with lightsabers. She like fights uh, a xenomorph. There's like this one panel that has like a bunch of DC and Marvel superheroes in it. This is was made in like 82 or something like that. There's like it, it would be impossible to sell just because so many, you know, there's so many trademark issues. But the animation is like stunning. It's like this oh, like that's fun. fantastic hand-drawn 80s Japanese animation that is just like we're gonna break every trademark law we can find just because we can. We're just gonna show this thing at a convention. And it's like it's so cool. It's yeah. it's so awesome. Like someone just shared it without any context and they were like, like, what is this thing? And it's uh it's it's wild. Well, yeah, I'll definitely yeah. have a link for you to check it out. It's really anime, cool. it's anime versions. It's called D-A-I-C-O-N Daikon 4 is what huh. it's called. Yeah, oh, anime versions of American properties are, are like 
a thing that I'm really into of just like seeing here's like anime Darth Vader or like anime Superman. I think that stuff is always super cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah. There's like even a sequence where she's like flying around on a sword and like the Millennium Falcon flies by and there's like TIE fighters and stuff like that. It's kind of it, like it, the it, Space it's... Jam new legacy of its day. Yeah, yeah. but like way more interesting. <laughs> oh, okay. I actually, I, yeah, I saw this gif and I think the specific contest, it was like Ready Player One done right. Where it's just like, that's the extent <laughs> oh, of it. It's right, just, like, it's right, just right. an ad. It's basically an ad, right? So. Hey, yeah. Kyle, I know we talked about Space Jam New Legacy on Midmax Council or Patreon exclusive podcast, um, but I was thinking more about that. Like, the reason they're opening it up to all different Warner Brothers properties is so that Space Jam 3 and 4 and 5, think about the possibilities. It is literally anything. It is, it is just now any competition between any IP can be called Space Jam. <laughs> Think about how insane that is. Anyways, that's it. Well, um, well, they were weren't they? There was a plan to do like a Tiger Woods one, like yep. a Space Jam. Or there was a Tony, Tony Hawk one. Yep. Time, right? yep, yep. There's a bunch of different uh, failed uh, sequels. I think there was a there was a Jeff Gordon called Race Jam. Seriously, like, anyways. But hey, get a load of this. Uh, this is a tweet from Mark Hamill, um, uh, where it says he's quote retweeting. So the original tweet says Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century. Uh, the Looney Tune animation was ranked number four of the 50 greatest cartoons of all time by animation professionals. And did you know that George Lucas requested it be shown before Star Wars? And Mark Hamill retweeted that and said, George really did want this classic Daffy Duck cartoon shown before every screening of Star Wars. It would have been an icebreaker to let the audience know what was coming and that it was less that what was coming was less than dead serious. I was disappointed when we couldn't get the rights to it and it didn't happen. Hashtag true story. I love that. It like ties back into that overall theme of every time George Lucas talks about Star Wars, he just goes like, like, remember there was one time he was at a panel and he goes, well, I mean, obviously they're stories for 12 year olds and, and the crowd's like, boo. It's like, no, no, everybody's taking it too seriously. This is designed for kids, everybody. Uh, This is just a nice way to like, at its start, it was supposed to be in the vein of duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century, which is perfect. Unrelated, but what do you think that hashtag true story hashtag is? Do you think it's popular? Do you think that's a popular? Do you think you would find something mi- like mind bending if you went to True Story? If you clicked on the True Story hashtag, um, the latest True Story <laughs> on uh, Twitter serial is hashtag Brothers. Can you share a new conspiracy theory? Mine are all now being proven. Hashtag True Story. Hang on, this is huge if true. Hashtag illegitimate President Biden. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Well, it's, it's, it's under that true story hashtag. So. <laughs> the podcast episodes under hashtag true, true <laughs> What about hashtag true stories plural about the David Byrne film? Oh, there's probably a lot of people story? talking about that. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, let's see who hasn't gone yet. I was in the wrong hashtag. I, I meant true story, but I meant I wanted to go to the true stories. Serial, <laughs> uh, you got one, dude. Yeah. So get a load of this. Uh, I think a, a little while ago. Uh, Jan Willem uh, Nijman, I think that's. Uh, I'm apologize. I apologize for butchering your name there. Uh, at J Wop with four A's on Twitter, uh, said today's Easter. Today's Easter. So this was posted on Easter. Uh, <laughs> please respond with the best Easter eggs you ever hid in a game. And so this has been going on for a little while. For people yeah. have been putting this, and there are a ton of great uh, Easter eggs that developers have posted, and it's everything from like 
you know, uh, all four Ninja Turtle weapons in different are in different spots in the division. Somehow got away with modeling them myself too, despite being a level designer. And That's so, awesome. Yeah, he has a photo of like here's two a uh, two stores next to a box of pizza, <laughs> or like things like I always strive for extreme realism in games. A TM. So in Amnesia Rebirth, the sulfur boils faster if you put the lid on it. So there's a puzzle where you have to boil something, and if you put the lid on it because it's sulfur. And so there's just, yeah, like everything from like, here's this thing we kind of spend a lot of time in or versus like the soap bar prop in Dusk kills every enemy in the game in a single hit. Uh, so it's just a lot of developers sharing like, here's a, a secret level or whatever. And Kyle, you might like this one. Uh, the terrible growls of the hallucination in uh, Hyper Light Drifter are actually just at Teddy Diff saying Shack Jack pitched way down and granulated <laughs> to smithereens. No idea why Shack Jack, but the sound was an Easter egg that played occasionally when saving in the level editor. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like I, uh, and Necrosofty, who uh, I forget their actual name, but at Necrosofty on Twitter posted just a simple one. It's like I put a cow up there, and it's like a driving game where you happen to, you know, like obviously you're going past fields really quickly, but there's like a wall, and then there just happens to be a cow inexplicably on top of it. So it's like a lot of. <laughs> really great touches that developers have been have been pointing out which i, I think is it. really cool so nice uh, links below yeah, follow for all that, that link stuff. and look at those replies and quote tweets yeah um we have in the discord channel which you get access to if you support us at any tier on patreon uh, a whole channel dedicated to people sharing uh constant get a uh, load loads of this I, i'm sorry i can't pluralize it Anyways. everyone's sharing their loads oh, okay sorry all <laughs> shazira posted in there a story from rock paper shotgun um, that is a Roblox player digitally scammed their way into the White House press corps. This is a story here from Rock Paper Shotgun. A player in Roblox, in a Roblox political roleplay group, managed to invent a journalist persona for themselves that was good enough to fool their supposed colleagues and have their questions asked to White House press secretary Jen Psaki multiple times. Uh, Montague, who's the person who fooled them, told Politico, quote, I love journalism, and I think the press corps is doing a pretty bad job at the moment. So I decided I wanted to ensure some transparency and ask some questions me and my friends wanted some answers to. They eventually had some questions asked on their behalf about everything from COVID-19 travel bans to coming ambassadorships to Biden's reaction to Microsoft being hacked. They also asked about former Obama president, former President Obama's level of involvement in the current administration. So this Roblox player just made this fake account and it was that easy to get in and they did like because of covid restrictions it was like oh this person's asking a question on behalf of somebody else so they didn't have to physically be in the room and it's like oh then you get to ask white house press correspondent a question so did they scam themselves in or did they just become a journalist <laughs> because yeah. i feel like the description <laughs> right. of that is how a lot of peers would be like yeah and then they just i said could i do this and they said yes and now i have a career. right that's true so it's it's not that far away and yeah. i'm i'm also shocked those are like legitimate questions i feel like a lot of times in stories like this it's like just a troll to like say something crazy, but they have like actual stuff, which is kind of cool. Yeah. You're going to fix this in the next update, Biden. <laughs> <laughs> to the government. I've been waiting How for do the I United upload States a custom shirt drop for so long? The quality of life updates that we've been needing in this country, just wild, <laughs> wild amount. Um, hey, that's it for this episode of the MinMax Show podcast. Um, Kyle and Suriel, just a heads up, I sent you uh, a Slack message if you want to run down and read some names. But before that, uh, we have some plugs. Uh, trivia Tower, the new episode of our community trivia show, is a real hoot, and it's up on YouTube. Any help sharing that show with a friend is appreciated, and we're going to have the next episode um, in the middle of May, so around May 15th or so. Um, 
maybe May 17th, but yeah, towards the middle of May, we'll have the next episodes. If you support any tier on Patreon, you can compete to win prizes like an Asteroid 50 headset and game code. So jump on in there. It should be a fun time. Also, we have a, a real murderer's row of uh, interviews coming up. It is getting ridiculous. Uh, obviously, you heard from the beginning of the show, we'll have Jason Schreier on for an interview um, very soon, most likely next week. Um, this Friday, we have an interview going up on MinMax's YouTube channel and the podcast versions and the uh, podcast or the Patreon exclusive podcast feed, which you can access to at the $5 tier. Um, this Friday, we have an interview that I am so happy happened and it ties into the last story, which is weird. But uh, I got to interview John Dickerson from 60 Minutes and CBS News. Uh, he was the host of Face the Nation, the Slate Political Gab Fest. Uh, I've really admired John Dickerson uh, as a political reporter for so long. Um, and so it was very strange to talk to him for about an hour, largely about Age of Empires. So it's a really good time. So if you are a fan of John Dickerson, for whatever reason, mostly because he's very good, uh, you can check out that interview. And then on Monday, we have an interview coming up with Sakaguchi, the creator of Final Fantasy. Um, so, you know, what other outlet provides John Dickerson and Sakaguchi back to back? The two biggest gamers. That's right. So <laughs> please look forward to that. Thanks for the support and thanks for the help sharing. Also, just a quick plug. Um, we have new merch in the MinMax store, which you can uh, find at minmax.com slash merch. Um, Hugo from the community, uh, we contracted with him and he created a shirt uh, and poster that is a collage for the deepest dive that has characters from all the deepest dives that we've done so far in kind of a smash brothers ultimate style collage. And it's amazing. He did an amazing job. Uh, so you can check that out and we'll have individual versions as well. If you just want a sticker or a button for just the individual deepest dives that you participated in, but uh, it's incredible work. So hats off to Hugo for, for finishing that and it's available in the store. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening. And uh, thanks for the support. Uh, Kyle and Suriel, do you have, some cool names to run down we do but how do you how do you want to do this do we just trade off i think you trade off and just just let same it rip. at the same time mm-hmm. okay I'll, no. I'll i guess i'll start thanks to the following right. patreon supporters for their generous support of min max at the 50 dollars tier get your name on the list right here at uh www.patreon.com slash min max with two n's uh those supporters are i am 8-bit rainmaker.gg another eden on steam Mirko Arico toreno moonface nick Zachary Pliggy. Beaten Down Brian. Jawar Hello. Mark Seliga. Ludwig Roque. Andrew Urquitz. PrettyGoodPrinting.com. ENT Clark. Andrew Valla. Cameron Wardlaw. Yarrow. Alex Payne. Clint Farley. Spiral in Your Eyes. Richard Smuts. Spider Dan. Kreesum Yar Legata. Steve Bamdad. Starkiller. Clayton Myers. Slick Nick. Jesse Vitelli. And of course, super serious Sam. Fantastic. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good. Have fun. Let's go. Let's go.